Hello, and welcome to Point of Origin, episode 37, the podcast where I already know who I am for the episode because apparently I stole my apparently from Jack when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, did you notice the scene where he literally comes in all angry and dramatic and goes, well, apparently, and I literally paused, went and got my boyfriend, made him come back over and watch the scene with me, and he looks at it and just literally bursts out laughing. He goes, oh my god, it's identical. That and the hey, how are ya? You stole those right? two things from oh, me. Oh yeah, yeah. A young and impressionable child when we uh, when I was watching these the first times I was said when we were watching these I'm like nah, I'm not a young and impressionable child now no but yeah no I uh, I was laughing real fucking hard <laughs> dude Richard Dean Anderson in this episode is phenomenal he's showing why he's the lead in this episode my solid lead up for this episode is and I told you in text, and I told my boyfriend this when I was watching it, is I, I already knew how much I loved this episode, but watching it again just reminded me how it's, this is like the perfect episode in terms of the show, because it encapsulates everything that is good about this show and why we love it. All of the characters get, get good moments. All of them. Yeah. I mean, Teal doesn't get used that much, but he never gets used that much. But he still does get some nice moments. They are certainly smaller than everyone else's, but he does get some good moments, which is more than he gets in a lot of episodes. Yeah. No, it's funny. I even had a complaint later in the episode that honestly isn't even that much of a complaint because um, it's such a good episode that I don't even blame SGU for uh, kind of ripping this off a little later. And, and I'm really annoyed with myself for when I was watching the SGU episodes for the first time. I'm really annoyed with myself for not, not paying attention to the details because it didn't occur to me until I was watching this episode. I was like, oh shit, they ripped that off so hard. <laughs> <laughs> they looked at one of the best episodes of Stargate SG-1 yeah. and we're like, oh, well. I mean, it's been 15 years. We might as well do it again. And they do. And I mean, they don't do it literally verbatim, but it's fucking close. There's a character that has a bunch of alien knowledge downloaded into her brain and she does almost the exact same fucking chalk math thing, too. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. I will say it is a more niche trope. But that is still a trope. Oh, yeah. So they might not even necessarily been copying you're Fifth actually, Race. You're they might have been just doing the trope. You're actually, you're way more onto Slime with Denver than you realize because um, one of the, they do a much better job of kind of leading into it, I guess, um, for SGU because the character that gives her the chalk is the guy who's the kind of asshole yet beautiful mind type who like writes on the walls and shit. Uh-huh in chalk because that's all they have with them on their ship <laughs> yeah so he's the one who like kind of shows her like the crazy way and then she does all the math on the wall so it's um actually, oh, it's actually pretty nice. well uh, led into yeah. it because it's like literally a part of his character from the very beginning of the show so it's a cool awesome bridge that's really cool actually. yeah so we have that to look forward to in years and years from now uh, uh well i'm mel oh shit every time <laughs> <laughs> i'm liss <laughs> And uh, we have a, I assume, what's going to be a long episode today for you guys. Oh, yeah. I literally told Eric that earlier. I was, uh, he was like, you guys are recording today, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Don't expect to see me for a while, though. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. You are, uh, you're going to be gone for hours. Yeah, we're either <laughs> gone for hours if we hate the episode or if we love the episode. And let me tell you guys... We love this goddamn episode. And when I looked at the writer and director, I'm like, oh, no surprise, two of our favorites. Yes. Directed by David Wary Smith. And written by Robert C. Cooper. And written by Robert C. Cooper, the real MVP of this show. You know, it makes sense even more that he, uh, that SGU later uses these storylines, because I've pointed out before, I'm pretty sure Robert C. Cooper has more of a presence in that show. 
too. So his writing style would definitely come his across His writing more. style would fit really well in SGU, from what you've told me. To be fair, SGU was just so amazing that I honestly think it'd be hard for you. Like, even Catherine Powers couldn't have fucked up that show that much if she had tried. <laughs> don't, don't, don't bring her back. <laughs> don't bring her back for the next Stargate. Don't summon her. <laughs> Speaking of next Stargate, do you know what I've, I found out when I was looking up the watch order for what? my, uh, my planner? So I could keep track of everything we've watched and everything. Uh, bad news. We actually have to watch Origins. No! You can't It is me. considered canon. And supposedly it's going to be used as basis for the... Like, information from it is going to be used as basis for the next series. But it's so bad. That's what I saw. But it's considered canon. But, I mean, from everything I've read, Origins is crap. I mean, I've heard, I've heard it's a really crap... Web series that plays beyond fast and loose with Catherine's origin story. I don't. Uh, fine, 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 <laughs> fine. Look, fine, that is fine. like five years fine. away. At no, more than five years away. You're, you'll be fine. <laughs> it's fine. You know, I've seen the Green Lantern movie. My tolerance for crap is pretty high. Right, right. I've seen some bad movies in my life. <laughs> so let's just get right into this. Yeah, let's because, get right into this. Uh, this is a good episode of All the Locks to Talk To. The official synopsis for this. Oh, God. So this is, again, the weird one where on the DVD, this is actually supposed to be episode 16, which by yes. the opening of this episode, there's no way it was always meant to be episode 15. Yeah. Because they're playing really hard on the fact that it's supposed to follow episode 14. Yeah, on that note though, before I even, uh, before you start it, I have to say, I did heavily emphasize last episode how much that, uh, terraforming device looked like it was covered in ancient symbols. Having been, have my face in this episode plastered up against the ancient symbols, I am willing to bet that maybe it wasn't actually meant to be ancient technology, and maybe I was being a little too, uh, heavily focused on it. No, I think it was. Well, here's the thing, I also looked into it, and somebody said that it's never really fully acknowledged who, you know, did it but apparently one of the writers actually said that maybe it was supposed to be the furlings so it does oh, here's the okay. thing here's the thing that doesn't entirely absolve them of the mistake because i still maintain that they know what the furling language looked like based on the same place yeah, seen it, in yeah. torment of tantalus so they should have still had and a they referenced torment them. of tantalus exactly. in that episode so it's no you're absolutely right excuse, but maybe no. i could be wrong but still like the fact that so we'll jump ahead for a second for me reading the synopsis. But literally, they open up the episode with them quoting the one lackey from Area 51 about meaning yeah. of life type yeah. stuff. And they yeah. say it, like, at least two more times in this episode. Yeah, so it, I still maintain the last episode sucked. Uh, oh, it did. It 100% did. Yeah. But Robert C. Cooper at least made it vaguely matter now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, honestly, he, he did such a good job in this episode that it honestly made up a little bit for how bad last week was for me. Right. So, while studying alien wall inscriptions on another planet, O'Neill peers into a viewer that unleashes ancient knowledge into his mind. But the information is infecting O'Neill's brain like a cancer, and the SG-1 team must reverse the process before his mind is completely refigured. It's actually not a terrible synopsis. I don't like that they started a sentence with but. Yeah, no, they're still- their grammar and punctuation still leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> But it's actually mostly accurate. Yeah, it's, it's actually not that far off. So it's not even really that terrible. Like, it's not overblown. It actually no. is a... Um, coherent? Yeah. 
it, it, it's that like teaser. There we go. It like tells you what yeah. the episode's about, but it more without just spoiling the whole it, episode yeah. because this episode crams a lot. Oh in, god! But it yes. does well. I think. I think it's structured pretty well. Oh, dude! I was like, I was genuinely only halfway through the episode, and I had to pause because I was needed to catch up on some notes. And I looked at the timer, and I'm like, how are we only halfway through? Right? So much has happened. Right? He makes. So much happened in this episode, and it doesn't feel too rushed. No, it really doesn't. Um, which again, it's not was like impressive. I can't even remember what episode it was anymore that was jumping around like every five seconds. Do you remember? I don't remember. Uh, was, was it the one that you said was halting? Because I feel like that was spirits. No, spirits didn't jump around too much. Last week's did. <laughs> that was Touchstone. Right. So Touchstone jumped around too much. Was that it? Could be. Yeah, like, that one jumped around so much, and we're like, why? Stop! 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 <laughs> but this one, like, so much happens, and it does not feel like it doesn't flow. Like, it works. Yeah, yeah. No, this one definitely has flow. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm still trying to remember, like, which one you were talking about for the other one. That, that, I don't you know, know. The opposite of flow, but fuck it. Like, as a comparison, Secrets jumped around a lot. There were three plot lines going. And even with Secrets, we were like, you know what? There are a lot of cuts between scenes but at least they chose good places to put the cuts yeah it could have been worse yeah you don't even notice anything in this one it's just like yeah this is all just happening and i think part of what helps is david Wary smith does a lot of like transitioning into scenes by following people yeah plus i'm sorry this episode is more exciting yeah 100 percent but like we go we go a lot of a lot of different scene transitions we're going with like like, as an example, Jack, Daniel, Janet will be in one scene and we'll be having a scene. And then we'll go to the dialing room, but we're following Jack there for another scene. I love the scene. camera work. Yes! David Wary Smith does a great job in this episode. I have said this a million times. It's, it's not always about the end result. Like, sometimes... There's even times where I've, you know, even last week when I was bitching and moaning, and I was bitching and moaning a lot, um, <laughs> I still, a couple times I remember going, uh, at least at least distinctly once, <laughs> I remember going, and it's not their fault that this happened. That had more to do with a later continuity thing that they were going to set up with later writing, and it has less to do with, like, production issues. But I definitely know we've had times where I can be unhappy with what the outcome was, but I can not have a problem with it because I understand how life is. Yeah. Um, it's not always about the outcome, it's about what the intent was. As in, were they trying? Were they intending mm-hmm. to try? It's not yeah. always about whether or not it came out well or not. Yeah. Because sometimes you just can't have the best results. But you can usually tell when they at least tried. And then you have, you have the opposite sometimes, which is episodes I really bitch about, where it's like, they didn't even try. They didn't even fucking yeah. try. <laughs> um, this episode, not only does it not have any things where I don't think it was executed like the way they wanted to, I think they just literally tried and knew what succeeded? they were doing so well <laughs> that they succeeded at every turn. One of the reasons why I kept, I had to stop, keep stopping and rewinding because I needed to go back and take more notes because I was, I was so hyped throughout the episode. Because of little <laughs> things, like the directing, the dialogue, or the acting. Everything was coming together so well that I, before I realized that another five minutes had passed, I hadn't written a note. God, yes. Speaking of dialogue, I wanted to specifically make a note, and I realized it, like, obviously it had been going on through the whole episode, but I really thought it in the final moments of this episode. I'm like, Robert C. Cooper's dialogue is masterful. I love how natural every single thing they said felt. Yes, and it's so beautiful, too. It's not mm-hmm. just natural, it's beautiful. Like, he yeah. doesn't just have people talking. There's meaning behind what they're saying. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, there is legitimate feeling. Even with just that. Um, actually, I was getting it. I accidentally started watching Matter of Time yesterday after the oh, episode. Oh no! Well, because Hulu has autoplay. Yeah, true. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm also binging like you know Voyage, not Voyager, uh, D- Deep Space Nine, and you know Brooklyn and shit like shit like that. So I'm always just kind of used to letting Hulu go with the autoplay. Mm-hmm. And I was like five, ten minutes in before I remember. <laughs> supposed to keep watching and i almost uh just now just quoted some dialogue that's um amazingly well done between uh sam and jack but that's actually the intro for next episode so we'll get there (laughs) that being said the feeling you mentioned is really here in this episode because there's gonna be a part where i'm just like yeah no nope sorry uh hands down that the married people in this are not sam and jack it is 100 daniel oh dude they are so married percent The Jack and... I was actually about to say, like, all of the emotional through lines with the whole team are really strongly felt the whole time. Yeah. But, like, this is absolutely a Jack and Daniel episode. There's no getting around that. I think it's why Matter of Time has an intro that's so heavily emphasized on Sam and Jack <laughs> with their conversation and cutesiness because it's like, we, we know we spent a lot of last episode telling you that Sam and... Uh, sorry, that Jack and Daniel are... are meant to be together but we actually have a different story in mind <laughs> <laughs> well they're used to balancing it evenly between them so anytime one of them gets one gets more of a focus they have to give yeah. the other one more yeah, of they a have focus to emphasize, uh, jack holding the other hand too <laughs> yes exactly because he has to hold both of their hands at the same time yes. <laughs> so yeah now that we've officially distracted yet again from this wonderful episode let's uh... <laughs> yes let's dive right in officially now Okay, it opens up with a briefing, and I really, I love any briefing that starts with Daniel just being a nerd. Right? He's such a cute little boy this whole episode, when he's not being a little bitch, and I love it when he's being a little bitch. Yes! (laughs) But it's a great little, honestly, callback to the movie. The briefing where he's explaining the gate to everyone. I love it when he's just like, the language matches, and everyone's just staring at him. He's like, so you know you know what this means, right? <laughs> no, I just love it because he's like, look! And he just shows it to him. He doesn't say anything. And he's just waiting for someone to get excited like him. And everyone's God. just staring at him because he forgot that no one realized last time he did this that there were, there were constellations on the symbols. Right. He keeps forgetting that people don't see things the way he does. Yep, and he keeps forgetting they're not his kind of nerds. They're not like, you know, if Sam's plastering her eye to the gate, it's to figure out the physical properties of it that allow for the superconduit in space. Can we, speaking of his kind of nerds, can we talk about the fact that Daniel clearly hates the other nerds in this episode? Man, he was not here for them. Honestly, it was so funny because, like, I feel like him going through the gate as a first contact team has made him jock adjacent. (laughs) Jock adjacent. (laughs) To where he's actually judging these other nerds. (laughs) It literally felt like he walked into that room, saw them doing all these hypotheses, and was just like, I don't have time for this. I need things to happen. <laughs> no, that's what I was saying. That's what I love about his bitchiness later, especially when he, like, throws that line back at them. <laughs> like, no, I, I don't know what it means. I mean, I don't have much of an idea, but shit, what's the line? Ah, oh, it's... I don't know. I didn't write that one down. I'm sorry. Fuck. One second. This is gonna bother me. Yeah, um... look it up. But the first time he walks into that scene where they're basically doing Apollo 13, uh, he just, like, looks at them like he's like, why are you here? <laughs> Why do you exist? Why do you exist? I think it's mostly for the the second guy who seems really excited about all of these hypotheses, where Siler is more straight to business, like, here's some solutions. 
Yeah. I don't think he's judging Siler. I think he's judging crazy oh, hair man. Yeah, no, he, he was definitely he's judging, judging aliens dude. man. Yeah, he was definitely judging the other dude. One second. I'm almost, I almost found the scene. Oh, here we go. When they're trying to explain it to the general and he just looks over at Daniel and he goes, he's saying they have no idea. And they say back, no, not no idea. Just not much of one yet. <laughs> so yes. he throws it back at them later when he gives the generator thingy to them and he goes, I have no idea what it is. I mean, not no idea. Just not much of one yet. Because <laughs> he's, he's just fed up with them. <laughs> he's such a bitch. I that was the mo- like I was already like the first time he came in and saw them. I was already like he doesn't like these guys. But like the second time, when he just shoves the generator at them, and, like play with this, distract yourselves. I was like, oh, he hates them. <laughs> It was good, and I just love it because it's like there's definitely you know signs of like I guess like worse directors or worse scripts, right? Where um that kind of scene where it's showing such disdain, it's a little bit more <laughs> heavy-handed usually, right? This one was like charmingly handed. Yes, <laughs> where he's just he's so <laughs> flippant with his disdain. Robert C. Cooper has a perfect grasp of Daniel's character. Oh yeah, and then Michael Shanks has the opportunity to just let himself run free yeah. with that script. And going By the way, Michael Shanks earlier. was especially fluffy in this episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, no, I, I think they gave him a lot more uh, free reign, I think, with his uh, acting today on Daniel. Oh, God, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But what I really like is, you know, going off what you were saying with, you know, the connections to the movie that this episode was, you know, clearly demonstrating in the beginning. Uh, throughout the episode, his performance, once again, was kind of striking me with a bit of Spader. So oh, I really yeah. enjoyed. Because he's hair a bit seemed longer, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it did. I feel he's, like he's grown out You're quite not a bit wrong. This you're point. not wrong. He did look a little more floppy than usual. Yeah. But he was really channeling the, the spader bitchiness. Specifically, oh, my yeah. favorite kind of bitchiness from the from the planet when he first arrives on Abydos and he's just flipping shit out of his pockets. <laughs> that kind of Don't bitchiness. Don't know what this is for. <laughs> he's just like, well, fuck this. I'm just going to, you know, litter on an alien planet. <laughs> uh, you know, because I didn't get my sunscreen. I understand that kind of bitchiness. And I really love spader. I love feeling his influences. Every now and then. I mean, obviously you feel him everywhere because Michael Shanks is just a great actor and always kind of yes. has that in, in his mind. Mm-hmm. But even when he's making the character his own. Yes. Not that he already had made the character his own, but I feel like this is kind of the episode where he makes it his own. Because mm-hmm. it's the first time, too, where it's really heavily emphasizing on him and his relationship with Jack without bringing up anybody else, like, you know, his wife or anything oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I really that. loved all that. And I just loved feeling Spader in there, you know, a little more than usual, while also feeling a lot more of Michael Shanks. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Was... No, this... This episode was a great, like, obviously, Sam, Teal, Jack, Daniel, they all have good moments in this episode. Yeah. This episode was written to let Richard Dean Anderson and Michael Shanks just show off. It's one of the many things that made me, like, just really excited. The whole episode was kind of filled with, even when it was, like, you know, scary, it was scary excitement. Like, I was just mm-hmm. waiting for each scene to happen. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, getting back to the actual... <laughs> Yes, yes. Daniel's giving his briefing about Torment of Tantalus, and they like open up with talking about the meaning of life st- type stuff again, which is why this is obviously supposed to follow Touchstone. I don't know why the DVD decided to put Matter of Time between it. I, whatever. Uh, and he's talking about how it was supposed to be a meeting place of ancient races, and how there's a recent probe to a new planet that returned a set of familiar symbols, and he shows the symbols up, and he, like, waits excitedly for anyone else to come to the same conclusion as him, and everyone just stares at him blankly. (laughs) I love it. I love it. He's like, don't you know what this means? And they're like, nah, nah, we have no idea. And so he basically explains that one of the ancient races is likely Thor's race, because there's a Norse symbol. Yeah. And so he's like, so these people are probably their allies. So these people are people we need to find. (laughs) 
so everyone realizes finally that it's a big deal and they obviously have to go through the gate to check it out. So they come through to a completely sealed room with a maintained atmosphere, but nothing else that they can see. This is honestly like my one of the few flaws I really have. The only problems I have in this episode is I understand why they did it this way because they had to do their... I was going to say pad the runtime, but honestly, it wasn't really padding the runtime. It was more no. just, they had to do their dil- their due diligence of uh, of requ- requisite, oh, there's nothing here, move on kind of thing. Oh, look, what, oh, shit, I hit the mic. Oh, look, what a surprise, you know, that kind of thing. But it really bugs me. These people are, their big thing is, you know, going to foreign planets that might have elements going on that they're not aware of. So they're, you know, diligent, right? They're, they're observant. Like, the first thing they do is, like, look around a bunch and, like, try to get their bearings. Even though they sent a probe, that doesn't matter. It's, you know, who knows what yeah, the probe's absolutely. not seeing. One of the things we always bitch about, you and me always bitch about, about in, yeah. in movies and stuff, is how no one ever looks up. What drives me crazy in this episode is that no one looks down. Down! <laughs> to be fair, I will say, they didn't have to look down. They already knew the symbols were there. But what I'm talking about is, okay, for example, we know that Sam is somebody who likes to just run up to shit and whap with it on it with her um, knife. We know that Daniel's somebody that when he sees a language, his eyeball is pretty much pressed up against it within five seconds. Yeah. And yet no one is poking at or anything the circle on the ground. And so while I love the element of Teal crossing it and nothing happening, but when Jack crosses it, obviously it's an indication Mm -hmm. um, of what what (laughs) I think is going to be the first indication of the ATA gene, you know, the ancient gene. Yeah, absolutely. Ancient, te- ancient technology activation. I love that I still remember that. I did see that in the trivia, but I did remember it before I reread it. <laughs> I want it on record. I want to jump ahead here for a second. Yeah. This what? episode, they do call it an IDC code. Oh, they do? They call it an IDC? Yes, at the end. Good, because they kept calling some GDO shit. Yeah, at the, at the end, when Jack's about to go through the gate, Sam calls it an IDC. Well, that's actually really funny because that does prove that there was a bit of a continuity issue production-wise with the episode order because remember how I said I accidentally watched a little bit of Matter of Time? Yeah. Guess what they call it and guess what they call it in Matter of Time? Oh, no. They just weren't caught up with Robert C. Cooper's I guess not. brilliant mind. I guess not. I'm, just, I'm mad at myself for not catching the IDC thing because that's like something I've been bitching about for a while now, but yay, IDC! I will say, I don't think, even though, like, you're saying, like, this is, like, probably the weakest part of this episode, I will say, like, it's very brief, the amount of time they're in this room, and literally Daniel wanted to stay there longer. It was, they, they play on the whole thing that they have, that's been there from the beginning. Yeah. Daniel wants to stick around and poke at things, and Jack's like, there's no obvious thing here, let's leave. <laughs> Which, okay, so it's funny, because Jack does two things there in that scene that I love, well, not that I love, that I notice. The first one is when he whacks on the walls with his fist and goes, walls are solid, because he's like shaking his hand because it hurts, and I'm like, uh, I'm identifying with you so hard right now, Jack, <laughs> because I do that exact same stupid shit, where I just like pound on as hard as I can. Ow, yeah, that, that, that's solid, all right. <laughs> that kind of dumb shit. So I love that. And then it's that thing where he just immediately dismisses everything and then follows it with what, like I said, this episode only has a couple of things I have problems with. This is the other one where he's like, okay, fuck it, let's leave. And Daniel says something along the lines of, we can't just, there's no reason for us to leave right now. And uh, Jack replies with, yes, we can, or like, why not? And it's like, that, that's, that's, that's ending an argument with, with because, and that's not yeah. an argument. <laughs> you can use different words all you want. That's still just somebody going, why are we having to leave right now? And the other person going, because. Okay, but you're missing the best part of this scene, oh, yeah? which is Daniel yelling at the ceiling. Oh, God, you're right. I did, miss, I did You know, that is. Which he's not wrong, but I do love that even when he says it, like, you know, well, you can never be sure. It's still I great know. watching him do it like a moron. It's so good. Because, like, there's no obvious 
There's like, the walls are blank. The only thing on the floor is that one, the one set of symbols that they knew to come here in the first place. There's nothing here. But like, and everyone else is like, uh, there's nothing here. And Daniel's like, well, maybe they're watching somehow. Hello? <laughs> I, that has to be a really good nod to the fact that technically the ancients are watching because they're always watching. Right? Not doing anything because they're fuckers. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> I've already talked a little bit about how much I I love the ancient as a storyline. The ancients as a storyline, I really do. I think there is oh a, yeah, as a, as a, a plot great driving story, story device. They are excellent, especially mm -hmm. because they are crafted in such a way that they are fucking loathsome. In my oh, opinion, yeah. uh -huh. they like to act like gods. They like to act act like progenitors of another race, and yet they fuck off at a moment's notice as soon as it's convenient to them because they don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's just how they all act in the diner. Uh-huh. <laughs> Your face! <laughs> Too bad this is an audio media. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great scene that I cannot wait to get mad about when oh it happens. Oh my god. That is such a good scene. But I do love this episode for that little moment where he shouts up at the ceiling, you know, hello, is anyone there? And it's like, it's a cute little nod. I don't know if they already knew what was going on, especially since the Asgard later very guardedly say that they um have just moved on from their region of space. Mm-hmm. And that's like, what? You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there are at least ten seals in this picture. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do love that scene for, I, I don't, I think it was foreshadowing. I think they had to have known some elements of what, so especially since this is the first time they're really starting to get into the ancients and introducing yeah. them. I'm assuming they already had a somewhat of a game plan of where the ancients are and, and what they're doing. So I'm assuming mm -hmm. this is a nod to that. Yes. So... While they're, like, arguing about whether they're going to stay here or not, Jack walks through the circle on the floor that Teal has already walked through. But when he walks through it, suddenly there's a reaction and the wall... <laughs> my notes literally call it a wall sphincter from uh, Borderlands. <laughs> that's what it looks like! I can't unsee that now, thank you. No, that's exactly what it is. That's a sphincter, alright. <laughs> yeah, a wall sphincter comes out. So, uh, Teal looks kind of peeks into it first without touching it. He gets like really close and kind of looks in and Jack's like, what do you see? And he's like, just a bunch of weird moving lights. And Jack's like, huh, let me look. <laughs> huh, let me very, see. Yeah, which is very Jack, to be honest. Honestly, I'm actually kind of surprised that Daniel didn't shove himself in the way there just to be like, That's dude, I That's probably see why Jack did is because he's like, if I don't do this, Daniel will. <laughs> I do find it funny that the guy who was ready to just pack up and leave immediately is also the guy who wants to play with the pretty lights. It it makes well, a little it makes a little less sense because I feel like he would have been like, oh, I guess we have to stay now because he just he seemed begrudgingly on the planet. I feel like a lot of his let me look is him being the team leader and taking point. That that, that tracks. Yeah. So Jack goes to look into it and suddenly it reacts and like these like arms grow out of it and clamp onto the back of his head. It goes full face hugger. Yeah, exactly. Literally, yeah. And he can't get out, and, like, there's obviously, like, something, ha like, lights happening inside the grab on his head, and no one can get him out. Okay, so here's the thing. I watched that scene a couple times, because I, I, I was, it was weird to me. It seemed a little odd to me, because they all, like, everybody spectating this, right, watches and, like, shit-shocked-faced, right? Like, oh shit, shocked face. And yet, while Jack is, like, you know, grabbing at it and trying to, like, you know, pull himself out of it, I couldn't help but notice that not a single person moves to his aid physically <laughs> until after he's let go. Which yeah. I find odd. In their defense, it takes, like, three seconds. Yeah, but that's something about their shitty uh, reflexes. Yeah, no, it does. Although, like, Daniel's gonna have shitty reflexes, come the fuck on. 
Okay, so he's alive. So but something about, about Sam and Teal. Especially Teal with the supposed, supposedly heightened ones, thanks to his, you know, snaky dude. The only thing I can think is that because it was like wrapped around his head, they were worried that any actions they might have would that is perfectly react believable. poorly to him. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's actually, I, did, I didn't think about that, I will say. Um, I still find it weird that they don't even move in his direction until after he's dropped on the ground. Yeah. So it finishes whatever it was doing and lets him go, and he just drops to the ground, <laughs> unresponsive. Yeah, so here's the thing. I'm not actually complaining. This, this, because no matter what the, in, no matter what the answer is as to why it happened the way it happened, it's not, you know, bad. It's something I had to note was... This technology, this repository technology, does not appear to resemble pretty much any ancient technology that we know of, that you and I know of, having seen this, you know, seen more of yeah. the show. And I definitely don't think it really is reminiscent um, to anything I saw in SGA or even in SGU, like even their old school shit. Uh -huh. So that tells me that one of two things happened here. One, which is much more likely, the uh, props department didn't yet know what they were going to be doing with the ancient technology as a whole, so they didn't That's know what it was. What, yeah, not a mistake so much as this was their literally their first gen idea of what the ancient technology would look like. Because yep. up until that point, all they had as a go point was the gate, mm -hmm. which is meant to be a wormhole device, not you know yeah. an aesthetic thing or even a repository thing. So I could totally see it just being their idea of what this would look like. Now, if you want to take into it after knowledge that you know we have from later viewings of uh, later episodes and shows. I am also of the idea that this could be, for example, furling tech. Or yeah, maybe. Because this was meant to be an alliance of sorts that they had, exactly. right? There's it no, could be there's totally no believable that they use their friend's tech to build the thing that holds all the their known yeah. knowledge. It's, I, I think it's really cool no, if it's I'm that. willing, I'm 100% willing to believe that. Or even Nox tech, because we haven't seen anything really of theirs beyond some misty shit. Honestly, it looks more like Nox tech than it furling, because if we're saying, if we're thinking that the uh, weather device was furling, that aesthetic doesn't match the wall. Right. No, the claw look could be more natural. Yeah. So it could be much more of a Nox thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I was watching that scene, I was happy either way with whatever the answer was. I just yeah. couldn't help but note it. I was like, hmm, it doesn't look like ancient tech. I wonder why. And then, yeah. Why not both? It's both. It could be both. <laughs> I'm down with both. All right. So the team returns home with an unresponsive Jack. Who gets responsive right quick. Yeah. Res responsive and, and surly. <laughs> I don't know if it's because he's just being Jack or if it's supposed to be like an element of him feeling, you know, whatever off. weird feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Off from, you know, having a bunch of shit downloaded into his brain. I think it's a combination of both. <laughs> I know I'd be a surly bitch about something like right? that. Right. So, Jack's getting a checkup, but he's being really dismissive about being fine now. Yeah, that, that, that does actually kind of float with Jack's character. Yeah. He doesn't uh -huh. like to be uh, sick or hurt or any of that shit. Yeah, I feel like the infirmary checkup is a lot Jack's personality coming through. And I think later on, in the briefing, when they're talking about it, I think that's part Jack's personality and part him feeling weird yeah, after the download. Because there is a moment where, like, he's not saying anything, but he's just got this look in his eyes where you could tell he, like, doesn't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> it's like a flash there and gone. But it, Richard Anderson, like I said, is remarkable in this episode. He's amazing in this episode. Near the end, he isn't even talking, you know? I don't know if I've ever mentioned this in any of my many tirades on this show, but I have such an affinity for uh, facial acting. Mm-hmm. And so seeing him at his best in this episode, it really oh, yeah. just helps me appreciate him even more. Yeah. So he's being flipping in the briefing. 
When everyone keeps asking him if he's okay, he says, there's nothing cruvis with me. And everyone just kind of stares at him. And he's like, what? And Dana's like, you just said there's nothing cruvis with you. He's like, no, I didn't. No, yes, I you did. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yes, yes you did. did. No, I didn't. What does that even mean? Cruvis. And he's like, well, going by context, I'd say it probably means wrong. I love this. I actually have the dialogue right here. You just said there's nothing cruvis with you. I did not. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Didn't. Did. Didn't. Did. Cruvis? What is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Mary. <laughs> Seriously, they're so married. It's one of the funniest elements. This is this is why whenever we, you know, when we were starting the show and we talk about how much we love them, these were like the moments I was thinking of. It's because yes. their, their banter is hysterical and their oh arguing is amazing because they'll literally it's... just do that. They'll just go back and forth. And I love, I love Daniel's um, way of speaking when he does it because he's just like, he's not like antagonistic, like, did, did. He's like, no, just he's like, like, yes. He's, like, he's just like that little bullshitty tone he does where he's just gonna state facts very calmly with a slight confused tone like, why are you being an idiot about this? Like, he didn't. He's the wife who knows <laughs> did, that she's did. right. <laughs> I just, I love his tone. Just, I, just, yes, he did. Yes, he did. 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 <laughs> Jack stops being verbal, they still manage to have that bickering aspect to him. I, I cannot get over the, the delivery in this scene. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, Hammond is basically like, look, go get some rest. <laughs> I also like how no one interferes with their bickering because everyone knows yeah. <laughs> Yes. So, like, they dismiss for now, and it's like, Jack, go get some rest. You were through something rough. But instead of resting, he decides to teach Teal about boxing. Right, but one of my favorite things about that scene is it's as it's ending, he's like, fine, but I'm taking my notes with me. And he, like, rips, rips it, it off, off, folds it in half, like, all, like, pouty. But what I love is the one, I looked it up um, in the trivia, because I, I couldn't figure out what was underneath the picture he was drawing, and it turns out it's another picture of the same fucking thing, because they do multiple takes. which is just him ripping it off all pouty and bitchy like fine i'll go take a nap but i'm taking my notes with me i'm taking my toys and going home <laughs> yes basically and then yeah he goes instead to go teach some boxing and i love his outfit in the boxing scene yes! especially the, the fucking crotch guard yep i like how we both made a note about the cup <laughs> <laughs> i didn't actually write the note down but the image is living in my brain now so and I love because Teal's like, why are our gloves padded? Why are we wearing this padding? It's, and Jack's like, so it's it's so we don't hurt each other. And Teal just stares at him for a minute. Okay, so it's you don't hurt me. <laughs> this scene is technically a little flawed in its dialogue because, and I know they weren't going for this. I just have to be an, an asshole. But what I got from this is that uh, apparently Jaffa don't spar. They don't spar with that kind of... No, I mean, they definitely... I think they spar with weapons, so that's what Teal doesn't get. I guess they spar to the point where it's, um, you either get good or you lose an arm. Because yeah. <laughs> his concept, his, like, his dialogue is saying, you know, then padding is, you know, to keep you from getting hurt, then why do we do battle? And it's like, well, it's practice, but why the padding? Now, all I got from that was, I don't want to be there when Jaffa is sparring. <laughs> well, that that honestly tracks, because remember when um, Ryak was being taught by Braytac, he lost a fucking True. tooth. He did, he did get a tooth knocked out, so I guess, yeah, it's really what it is. It's just really brutal. <laughs> One of my favorite YouTube groups, VLDL, recently did a, a series on Dark Souls. You should check it out, honestly, because I made you watch some of the, the Dark Souls videos before. So I... This bitch over here? Yes, this bitch over here. <laughs> 
But what I love is they're talking about the roly-poly in Dark Souls. And at the end, where he gets his ass handed to him by a long-term player, he's like, how did you do this? How do you play so well? And he goes, in the, you know, in the ancient words of my people, get good, scrub. <laughs> and it's been living in my soul ever since. So this, I guess this get is just good, one of those moments. Scrub. Yeah, with the Jafar, like, you, you, we spar deadly. So it's get good or die. Uh-huh. So I guess you're right. This isn't a complaint at all. This is just, ah, we're learning things about the Jaffa. In a much more natural way than the Jaffa do not believe in ghosts. Yes, thank you. God. <laughs> like I said, this it has so much more natural dialogue as a concept in this episode. Yeah, like, the concept super... of natural dialogue was actually a, a concept floated in the writing room <laughs> this time. Yeah. But yeah, so Jack is, like, trying to, like, do all of the, like, technical, quote-unquote, technical lingo for, like, boxing. Like, yeah, get your feet moving. Blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah, the dancing. All, yeah. And then Tilt's like, are we preparing to dance or to do battle? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I do love his dedication to dancing. Because no matter what, he keeps talking and keeps dancing, the, even as Tilt continues to not dance. Yes, Tilt continues to just stand there and stare at Jack. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> And finally, uh, and he, like, does, like, a couple, like, quick jabs at Teal'c, and Teal'c, like, doesn't even fucking react. And then Teal'c hits him once in the head, and he just goes flying. <laughs> I, I do love the casual references to his, like, super strength. Yes. Uh, and then while he's teaching Teal about, like, the stance that you need to have for it, he refers to his legs as Kozars. There's a weird piece of trivia I'll just let people read that has something to do with some dude named Kozar, because it was referencing how they were, you know, Kozar was meant to reference, like, you know, legs or knees in this episode, but they were saying how apparently that had something to do with some guy who had bad, oh yeah, a boxer who who famously had bad knees, whose name was something Kozar. It was just a weird trivia piece, <laughs> where they were like, fun fact, there's also a guy named Kozar who had bad knees. I'm like, okay, is this trivia about the episode, or trivia from somebody who watched the show and likes this? This is sometimes a problem with trivia. <laughs> yeah. I have to say second, because we'll find out later on, this is supposed to be, like, a derivative of Latin. Exactly. So, so that's why I was, like... some random boxer's <laughs> name as a word doesn't make any goddamn sense. Speaking of, I want to jump ahead for a minute here and commend Robert C. Cooper for his researching ability. Because we've seen how much some writers refuse to research for their episodes. <laughs> and Brad yeah. Wright, I'm looking at you! <laughs> Brad Wright or Brad Turner? Brad Wright. Brad Turner, I believe, is a director or something. What did Brad Wright fuck up with his research? Uh, all of the stuff about ECT. Oh, <laughs> wait, no, yeah. that, no, sorry. ECT was Catherine Powers, which oh, we know she doesn't do research. But, um, uh, oh god, what was it? Oh, uh, schizophrenia. Brad yeah. Wright wrote that? Isn't Brad Wright? Sure it was. It was one of the show leaders. Wow, that, I guess, I, I know it wasn't even that long ago. Oh, no. I... Yeah, Jonathan Glasner. I'm sorry. Jonathan Glasner. I'm sorry, Brad, right? <laughs> no, Jonathan, Gl I knew it was one of the show leads. Okay. Yeah, yeah, come on, Glassner, you can do better. You are remembering Brad Turner, though, because Brad Turner was the director. That's why. I was mixing up the two. That's okay. It's usually me doing that, so we're good. Yay. But well, yeah, I have so... notes right here that I could have looked at, but I decided not to, so that's on me. I wasn't doing my research. But no, he he shows that he did some, like, real research for this episode. Yeah. Not just with actually, like, coming up with, like, a believable ancient language to where like there could be conversations that Daniel's having to translate later and everything but also with like the the background stuff with the Romans and the Rhodes like good that stuff was, man 
God, man, there were several scenes that just kept making me so, like broad grin on my face. Just, oh my God, this is why I love this show. Yes, history nerds dream. <laughs> but yes, uh, so Teal's like, uh, you just said Kozars. <laughs> yes, I believe you were referring to your legs. <laughs> yeah, and they just kind of stare at each other for a minute. Then they both decide to invade Daniel's office to ask him for help. <laughs> and this is when I went and grabbed Eric, because Jack was... Apparently! <laughs> I am utterly Jack in this scene, when he, especially, like, literally, not just the, apparently, but, like, the moment he, like, opens the door all dramatic, like, yeah. you met me? Like, that's how I enter a room when I'm annoyed with something. I just go, so, uh, we're going to fix this problem, because apparently... I'm angry, so now everyone has to deal with me. He starts, they, they basically outline what he's been doing, and Daniel immediately goes into translation mode, like, huh, sounds like... Sounds like a strange derivative of Latin and pulls out this big book and just starts looking it up. Can we also take a moment to respect just, again, how great the acting is in this? Because even when it's just small things that you know aren't the focus of the scene. For example, that entrance was all Jack, right? And yeah. yet, and yet, the look on Daniel's face was priceless because it wasn't not even this that again. really annoyed. <laughs> yeah, because it was like vaguely not this again, but also just kind of like, yep, nope, there's Jack. <laughs> Like, he's just so used to this guy doing this. Oh, look, the husband has visited me at work. <laughs> Literally, it was it was the long-suffering boyfriend look. It was it was beautiful. But it was just great elements of that and the great acting because he was hearing dramaticness and he's kind of, like, not really listening until <laughs> Teal kind of, like, backs him up on it. And he's just kind of like, oh, so you're saying weird shit consistently. All right. <laughs> so what was the word this you just said? This is an actual <laughs> problem instead of you just being upset. Okay. Right, <laughs> right. And I just, I, mm, it wasn't bad. It was only good. It was beautiful. God. But yeah, so he basically figures out it's a strange derivative of Latin. Uh, while he's looking up words that Jack is saying in the book, Jack looks over at, on Daniel's computer, is the picture of the ancient language, and he starts translating it. And it's obviously some version of Latin that he's saying out loud. And Daniel's like, well, hey, hang on, what, you can read that? <laughs> I love their, both of them. I love their uh, dynamic in this um, more than usual because da Jack's just kind of doing his board, staring off into the distance thing while yes. Daniel's trying to, I love how he's there for Daniel's help and immediately tunes out. Um, yes! <laughs> but... He's doing nerd shit. I'm just gonna. But yeah, you know, he looks off in the corner, sees the circle, starts reading it. Daniel's interest gets re-peaked. Then Daniel is like, like, wait, 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 what? What's happening here? Is this Latin? And he just, like, he's, like, looking all expectantly at, at Jack, and Jack just kind of keeps going, like, back and forth and reading it and just looks over at Dan and, like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just love the dynamic of it because they're, like, both rapidly going through several different emotions, but they're playing off each other very well each time. Oh, perfectly. God, you, the chemistry is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but, but then we get a scene cut, and the scene, but it's, it's just a scene cut of, like, time. It's yes. clear that just time has passed because they're still in this room and now Sam comes in. And I, I do love in... how they conveniently don't show the part where Jack chalks up all this math. God no. God no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> in the interim of the time cut, apparently Jack has filled a whole chalkboard up with crazy math. And when Sam comes in and Daniel points it out to her, she looks at it. She's like, I don't, I don't know what any of that says. And you know it's crazy math if Sam doesn't know what it's being said. They're basically like, look, he needs to be taken to the infirmary again. Obviously something's going on with his brain, you know, that we need to check up on this. So he goes back to the infirmary, and Janet says that his brain is operating at 90% capacity. I know, I know. I'm gonna keep it short. I'm gonna keep it short. Um, it's a widely used, like, widely, widely used 
uh, writing trope. Myth. Yeah, it's a myth yeah, to this yeah, day. Yeah, it's a trope. But what kills me is that um, I can't even be that mad at this 10% bullshit being used in this episode because, what was it, only a Didn't few she years say ago. 30%, not 10? No, no, she said normally people use about 5 to 10% capacity of their brain. Wow, to which I'm like, I oh, so most people are, asked... are in a vegetative state. Good to know. I somehow absolutely heard 30. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, uh, but yeah, all, all I know is that I can't be too mad at it, because only a few years ago, that movie that it literally my boyfriend walked out of, it was so bad, but Lucy, yeah, you know, uses the 10% myth, uh, and it drives me fucking insane every time somebody does, because people, this is based on the idea that super smart people are using all of their brain, but it's completely inconveniently leaving out that if we were only using 5 to 10% of our brain power, we'd be dead on the floor. Not dead <laughs> dead, but, like, literally brain dead. Vegetative state. Yeah. Like, if we're not using 90% of your brain, it's because your 90% of your brain is inaccessible and you're fucked. What kills me about the 10% thing is this is based on the concept, is a badly construed idea that's based on the concept of for example when you and i are thinking about stargate we may not be thinking about uh elephants <laughs> or strawberries because we're talking Says about you. stargate right well there you go and that's because at this point in time we're not accessing the knowledge that we have of strawberries or bananas or um not bananas <laughs> no strawberries uh -huh. or elephants and that concept is that because we're not using that part of the brain, it's currently dormant. It does not mean we're not using it as in the brain is not being used. Mm -hmm. Now, even I am not doing this uh, description entirely right. Point is, I'm still doing a better job than this episode did. And I know they didn't have the internet back then, so I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to get too on, you know, on the rage train about this. Um, but really, seriously, it's, it's based on the idea that we're not using all of our brain at every single moment. Yeah, it's a concept that's been misquoted once. It, you know those, like, um... You know those, those, uh, those, like, really big, like, movie lines that have been misquoted so often that everyone thinks the misquote is the correct way? Yes, yes. It's yes. like that. It's, it's like, Luke, I am that. your father. Yes, exactly. It's that, where it's been misquoted so often that everyone thinks, even, like, super fans, think that this is the way it's actually supposed to be. And, like, I'm gonna compare this to, um, the, the bleeding from the mouth to show that you have a deadly injury <laughs> if you didn't even get shot near the lungs, you know? It's like, yeah. it's just a thing. You can't get away from it. It is an accepted trope of yep. writing. You yep. just, you're not going to escape it. Oh, yeah. No, and um, if, if there are such things as cliches dying, finally. Hopefully this one does. <laughs> I will say Lucy is the most recent version of this I can think. Yeah, and no one's saying Luc Besson is, you know, really that great of a writer, so. <laughs> <laughs> only one part of it is this 10% part. So there you go. This 10% part is not the worst thing ever, and it's only a small element of this, of this episode as a whole, because even though when you know why Jack is acting the way he is and so on, they still don't just keep going back to, oh, it's because no. he's using 90% of his brain now. They <laughs> say it once and they leave it. Like, they will talk about his brain, like, overclocking later, but they, they don't bring up, like, the 1%, 10% thing again. Yeah. No, they talk about more in terms of uh, a hard drive being overwritten. And they actually don't do a bad job with it that time, with the computer yeah. analogy. They should have just stuck with that from the beginning. Right. But yeah, so Janet's saying that his brain is operating at 90% capacity, and while they're talking, Jack has left the infirmary. <laughs> and then everyone goes looking for him, and Sam finds him in the armory, removing a power crystal from a power staff weapon. So I actually love this scene, but also hate it because um, it's actually really similar. Oh, I get to I get to mention Farscape. Yay! 
it's really similar to something that kind of bugged me about Farscape, which was, okay, it didn't really bug me. It bugs me about all shows when they don't mention <laughs> power sources. Yeah. Now, I, this is actually a flaw about Star Trek, is they basically never mention um, what the power cells are in phasers or phaser rifles. Uh-huh. They never really mention why some weapons like a Klingon disruptor are more powerful. They just say they are. Yeah. And they're not really interested in explaining why. Much like we mentioned before, some shows just purposely leave some things vague so they don't have to worry about fucking up later. And I get that. Mm-hmm. Farscape did this too, where their um their pulse right their pulse weapons are based on an oil made from this uh root. But the whole point is that this is the oil used to power them. And I think the episode's actually early enough in the show that it's more just good lore building. And maybe I'm actually maybe I'm actually not criticizing Farscape for it. Maybe I'm criticizing all other shows for not doing it the Farscape way. Uh-huh. Which is introducing it earlier than they do in a lot of places. For example, here, where it's season two something, and we just now are now learning that some glowy fluid shit is what is the apparently the destructive power supply of um, the Jaffa staff weapon. Yeah. And I'm not saying it, it's a flaw per se for not having mentioned it before now, but I kind of am saying it's a flaw that they don't mention once why staff weapons are so destructive. They don't mention why they look incendiary. They don't mention anything really about them until it's convenient, and all of a sudden there's a little removable glowy sack thing <laughs> inside of it. Yeah. And while I, you know, commend the show for finally bringing it up, I have to say, Farscape does it in season one, I think. And I think it's an early enough episode that they're like, oh yeah, this stuff is used to make the oil that powers your phase, um, your pulse weapons. Mm-hmm. And that's just a little, a little element of lore building that I really appreciate in shows when they do it. And so I'm happy that Stargate does it at least in season two, because it's a 10 season show, minimum. <laughs> so I'm happy that they explained it earlier. But I guess I would have appreciated that from somebody thinking of it, you know, earlier. I don't know. So like I said, it's, it's a half criticism. <laughs> yeah. But that was it. Actually, I just realized this uh, This episode came... So if I'm right, if I'm right in the chronology of when it happened in Farscape... No, mm-hmm. I, it doesn't matter. If it did in Farscape, it happened in 99, which is after SG-1 season 2. So I guess it's not SG-1's fault. They didn't uh, have a, a good... Um, they didn't have a good example to go off of yet. They didn't have inspiration. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, because I don't think Farscape started until 99. <laughs> My note, by the way, on the 10% thing is literally, No! Not the dreaded <laughs> 10% myth! <laughs> Amazing. I'm proud of myself for keeping it that short. Like I told you, this episode was so good, I kept going right back to it, so I didn't have time to write bitchy notes. So, basically, the end of that scene is that, uh, sh- she's like, what? Why do you need that? Oh, yeah, no, sorry, because he pulls it out, and she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I need this. And yep. she's like, for what? And he's like, I don't I know. I don't know. Which is uh, the best way to, um do that like he, he like i mean it just it's just more credit to his acting because he actually really does mm-hmm. sell that line where he's just as confused as she is as to why he's grabbing this 100 percent, yeah no like we said uh richard Jean anderson does a great job in this episode from beginning to end 100 percent. so uh we find out from daniel we're having another briefing where he says that the circle that they found vaguely translates to the place of our legacy or a joke of, or a piece of our leg. <laughs> right, which are totally similar things. Yes! Um, and so Daniel basically hypothesizes that the race are against the gold, which is why the device didn't react to Teal first. Yes, yes. And he start, he's already starting to have an idea about, like, what this is, but he doesn't say it quite yet. Um, Teal interrupts the briefing 
to bring everyone to the dialing room where Jack is typing like a madman computer. Yes. So, um, I don't know about you. I, uh, I'm vaguely always annoyed by how fake typing looks. Yes. (laughs) I was trying, but what he is clearly typing is, is a shit ton of binary and yet his hands were flying all know, over that I, keyboard as if he was typing in, like, words. I know. <laughs> I think I they know, told man. him. I think what I think it's just a difference between what happens, um, you know, on days of filming and, like, post-production. Yeah, I'm that's pretty a post-production sure issue. They told him, look like you're coding. Mm-hmm. Not Nobody told binary. him binary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So he probably looked like what his approximation was of a 90s era coder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm in. like um jack hacker voice i'm in yeah yeah so this was uh yeah that's it was good stuff it was an oopsie it was a minor post-production oopsie oopsie, so whatever yeah because he's doing Uh, one thing but the screen clearly reads as something else yeah uh so again he can't explain what he's doing but also says he can't stop like and they even start like trying to drag him away and he like starts fighting him and finishes typing in what he needed to I do love that when he's being like held back by Tilk and then all of a sudden just gets an arm free and just goes right tap tap tap. Last little sentence in. <laughs> that was good. It was really good. Great physical acting there, man. But see again, that's that's a, that's that, that does speak to the post production not being um, fully aware of what was going on because what he does is clearly like an execute command, which yeah. I don't think would have meshed with all that binary he was typing in. I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, so Sam says she can't reboot the system, uh, and the program Jack just wrote in binary starts to unlock new gates that aren't from the Abydos cartouche. So, I could be, I haven't, it's funny, I actually hauled my boyfriend in here for the uh, computer analogy part to make sure that it made sense, because it made sense to me, but I'm not, you know, a software engineer, like my boyfriend. But it didn't occur to me to haul him in for the binary scene for some fucking reason. <laughs> so I have literally no idea how accurate this is. But I could be willing to believe that all that binary shit, for example, was him entering in a shit ton of new coordinates. That makes sense to me. Yeah. But well, the fact that this is also ultimate... on top of that an executable program as well seems a little interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe the execute was just to put the new coordinates in. Yeah, I guess. But she kept saying she, never, she kept saying program in the episode, yeah. which kept bugging me, and I was like, but so she it's also a program couldn't that read it. Creates a bunch of shit. Yeah, I'm not even saying it doesn't make sense that it would be a program. Yeah, it seems more like he created. Um, I think somebody told me once it's called like a worm, where it's more like a virus, where it oh, has yeah, a job, yeah, yeah. like it does some overriding, it does some inclusion of new data, and it clearly has a task before it. But then it's like self annihilating. Honestly, that makes something. a lot. I, I have no idea how I accurate think that's what it said was. I think it's a better analogy, considering later on, it's also probably, they never say it explicitly, but it's all, what he was doing there was also probably what led to the the later dialing being able to yes, happen. Yes, yes. Especially because it locked them out again. Yeah, doesn't this episode involve them having to do a reboot too at some point, which isn't that how you get rid of a virus? <laughs> yeah. So, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I think it was more like a virus, yeah. but it's fine, whatever. Um, and... Daniel hypothesizes at this point that Jack just got all the knowledge of that alien race downloaded into his brain. Yes. And this continues to be a part where everyone's like, Daniel, that doesn't make any sense. Which, what are they basing that on? I, I, this is, once again, kind of like people in a zombie show not knowing what the word zombie is. 
it really bugs me when people in science fiction shows, especially two seasons in, where they've seen a lot of fantastical mm-hmm. shit, and yet this concept is just too foreign for them, too too alien, too different, too weird, too something. And they're just like, I nah, I can't be that. You're talking crazy. And I'm like, bitch, you saw somebody turn into a bug a few weeks ago. I will try to give them a slight defense because this is genuinely a leap forward in logic, but that's how Daniel operates. Daniel does tend to do more leaps of logic than anyone else on the team, and yes, they are being resistant, but I think everyone's just weirded out and confused. I guess. I just know that, uh, I mean, let's say it's a universe where you don't know what a zombie is. I feel like I'd be getting more on board with, well, I don't know what a zombie is, but I do know that dead people are eating shit that isn't uh, the shit I would eat. So I'm a little freaked out, and I'm going to get on board with this plan. Much like that in the science fiction universe that I'm I'm finding myself in, in this hypothetical situation, when I'm hearing these fantastical leaps of logic, I'm just less likely to dismiss, because I'm like, okay, yeah, well... To be fair, we did we did uh, find out that people can turn to bugs, so I guess this, m- this might as well happen. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily that it's, like, fantastical that they're not believing him on, but the fact that, like, at the end of this, he's, like, really insisted on, no, I think this is a good thing. Yeah. And everyone else keeps, like, doubting that or whatever, and, like, to be fair, they've had a lot of foothold situations, and things were, like, you know, <laughs> no, no, or even just message in yeah. a bottle. That wasn't exactly the same thing. They probably think it's more like message in a bottle than what Daniel's suggesting. You know, him. paranoia is something that I can't uh, argue against. disagree <laughs> with. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that, yeah, it could be that. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. At this point, after putting the, the code in to the computer, Jack can no longer speak in anything other than the alien language. I know it has to happen because of the fact that, you know, the constraints of a, of a episode length. I get that. Mm-hmm. But they do a lot of, once again, I'm using cinema sins here, but he does this thing when every time they do a time jump and he goes, and nothing of consequence happened during that time. <laughs> what kills me is I know obviously nothing of consequence happened during that time. Otherwise, it would have been shown in the episode. I, I get that. But my point is, I like how, you know, it's a very, this is an episode, you know, where like shit's happening, right? Like as he, mm-hmm. whether you call it deteriorates or uh, whatever the opposite is, uh, <laughs> gets yeah, stronger. Whatever. And I want to say anterior. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but that was like my first go-to. Um, but as you know, he's building instead. If you want to look at it from the positive point of view, sure. As that's happening, um, well, I got so distracted by not knowing what the word was that I forgot my point here. Uh, what was I just saying? About him losing English language. Oh yeah, yeah, the time jumps. There we go. Thank you. I'm not saying that nothing happened. I'm not saying it's bad that they had, they did mm-hmm. a lot of time jumps because again they had to get to the end of this episode. But it does crack me up how it's like as the episode progresses, all of a sudden those time jumps start happening a little more often. They start getting a little longer. And I would argue more that... significant shit seems to happen. Here's the thing. I don't think that's what that dialogue was saying. Mm. I don't think there was a huge time jump. I just think that whatever little surge in his brain he had to access to put all that stuff into the computer just kind of pushed him past the point to where he could speak in English anymore. I'm not, I I do see what you're saying. I'm not agreeing necessarily, but I do see what you're saying, and that's a perfectly valid idea as well. Yeah, I think this is just one of those things where you can read it either way. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's strictly enforced one way or another. Because they don't, again, they don't say anything about the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I honestly don't think there's that huge of a time jumps anywhere. I think the most time jumps we see are when SG-1 is on the planet. And even then, like, we're, we're seeing that, like, things are happening in Daniel's office. Oh, yeah, no, no. And I'm not saying it'd be um, any fun to watch the couple of hours of Jack 
drawing out, you know, blueprints. Yeah. And I'm, I'm saying it could make complete sense yeah, why yeah. that shit's not shown. So I'm not really complaining, but at the same time, it it does still kind of fall within that thing of, oh yeah, and nothing happened during that time jump where <laughs> whenever you are showing him on the camera, shit's going down like every five seconds. So it's yeah. just funny that hours could potentially pass with nothing of consequence happening. I mean, those hours were probably Daniel just quizzing Jack on the language. Because <laughs> you know Daniel came out of this episode having a pretty strong idea of the language. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it's so funny when it's like a good episode like this. It's like, I have to be incredibly nitpicky or there's nothing. Uh, but yeah, so he can no longer speak in anything other than the alien language now, but we now have a name for them. They're called the Ancients. It's funny, um, depending on who you talk to fan-wise, I've definitely had, I, I, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't call them heated debates, because to call it a heated debate, both sides, in my opinion, have to be heated. I was not heated, I was just confused as to why this was becoming a heated conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember having an accidentally heated, halfway heated conversation with somebody once online, because at the time, I was in, mid, I think it was like on season three-ish, or season four, whatever season of um, yeah. Atlantis. But at that point in time, the ancients had been referred to by as another name, the Alterans or Alter. Now I can't even remember. I, think, I remember <laughs> the name Alteran. Whatever they're referred to as, ironically enough, I can't really remember because this guy had a point, which was that they weren't referred to that first in the show. They were referred to as ancients in SG One and were known by their allies as the ancients. But it cracks me up that it, it's not, it doesn't really crack me up. This is just good because this is an element where even at this ancient time when they had three allied races that were also great races mm -hmm. these guys were a little fucking arrogant <laughs> because it looks like they probably had a different species name besides ancient even though they referred to as ancient first in the show i'm pretty sure that wasn't their first species name no, no. but they like well, to it's... call themselves that because it makes them sound like progenitors which is what they like to fancy themselves as yeah i think it's a combination of two things one we've seen it at the very least with like um, America and other lang and other countries, a lot of times will refer to one country by one name, but the country right. themselves yeah. refers to themselves with a completely different name, like yeah. Japan and Nihon, you yeah. know? Germany, Deutschland. Yeah, so that's a thing. But also, yes, I do think they were <laughs> a little hoity-toity into themselves, uh, and I can absolutely see them coming into this grouping of, like, powerful races and still wanting to set themselves above mm -hmm. so referring to themselves as the ancients just right. to be like we're still better than you yeah we've been around for so long we have such ancient wisdom at our disposal that yeah. kind of so shit so i would argue it's a little bit of both I, I could totally see that yeah but then we get a great little part where daniel's daniel believes this is an allusion to the romans who learned to build roads from the ancient ones and connects that with the stargates and it's, again, one of those moments where he's, like, waiting for someone to make the leap with them, and they just kind of stare at him. Oh, shit. Here, let me bring it up again. I don't know why I didn't have the tab up. One sec. Because that would just be smart. Um, you fool. Right. I don't even know what you're looking for. I was looking for the history of Roman roads. I had the, uh, the tab up the other day. Because mm. I, could, I couldn't find what he was talking about. While I did learn a lot about ancient roadways of Rome, I did not find the thing where he said he learned it from, they learned it from ancient ones. All I found was that, which is what I think the writer was um, taking some creative license with, <laughs> mm -hmm. is that they learned it from ancient traditions, as in their forefathers. 
But yeah, that's probably he's probably taking some creative license yeah, with it, which is fine because I was is trying a to find and bring up, but who the fuck cares? Uh, all I know is that they were considered like literally the civic responsibility of the people was to maintain roads. Like this was a mm-hmm. big deal to them back then. So I yeah. totally get why Robert C. Cooper focused on this, and I am definitely not complaining. And I'm not I'm not even complaining about the creative license. This is you know it's called fiction for a reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so fuck no, it. No, I know? think it's really clever. Even if there is creative license taken with the ancient ones, whatever. I think it's really clever to have the parallel between the gates and the Roman roads. That's a great thing to... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, if you tie the ancients to the Romans, the Romans were also, like, a little too into themselves. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Well, um, there's a... It's sadly in some of the earlier stuff that I just don't care for as much with Next Gen, so I really haven't uh-huh. rewatched it that much. And that's a shame, because um, in a way, Stargate, the movie, actually, Stargate, actually ripped off Star Trek um, with this concept, because there was an ancient society that is long gone by the time Star Trek comes around. Mm-hmm. But they find at one point, I think it was like the nexus of like where the society was built, and they had gateways that allowed them to instantaneously travel from their capital <laughs> to, you know, some far, far far-fetched area of the galaxy. My whole point was, I do remember them bringing up these ancient species, and if I remember correctly, the tone was kind of a similar one to, like, with Rome, where they were really fastidious about their their gates and their roads and their mm-hmm. stuff, and yet they fell, because as all do, they got too, too up, uh, on up on themselves, too opulent got too wrapped up in their luxury and as a result they you know lost all of their all of their strength yeah whereas with rome they kept expanding too much and they didn't have the manpower to maintain it anymore yeah and uh, you know when you're getting your ass kicked by a bunch of uh pissed off <laughs> celts picks and anglo-saxons you know you're just you know you've gone too far from home yeah but yeah so this is where he specifically says that he thinks this device is meant to pass down their knowledge yes and uh, Jack, in the language, because he's not speaking English anymore, tells Daniel he needs a new location. But when Daniel's like, wait, where? Where do you need to, what's the new location? Where do you need to go? Jack just kind of looks at him for a minute and shrugs. So I'm not complaining because they almost immediately um, start having Jack writing stuff. But this scene does drive me a little crazy because in three seconds or so in the episode, you're going to notice that Jack can still write in English. So it's a yeah. little, it drives me a little crazy when Daniel's like, yeah, Jack seems to have lost the ability to speak. And I'm like, cool, so we can write though, right? Like, yeah, they, like, why they is bring he... that up almost immediately. Right, but in the scene, it's just kind of funny because I feel like the only reason why he doesn't write anything is so the scene can happen the way it happens. Well, okay, first off, that might be just that Jack knows Daniel. He's like, Daniel wants to practice. <laughs> you know, I, that is an idea, yeah. I bet if anyone else is in the room, he writes. But if Daniel's in the room... He says it, because he knows Daniel wants the opportunity to try and figure out what he's saying. Yeah, maybe. Also, there might also just be an aspect of, like, wanting to... Because we'll find out in a little while, like, Janet predicts that, like, eventually Jack will stop being able to comprehend what anyone else is saying. Because, like, she says in a little bit, she says that it's only affecting his speech right now, not his writing. But it's going to continue to increase and warns that he might eventually stop being able to write or understand them completely. And maybe there's also an element of... If we keep talking, even if you're speaking in another language, that might maintain the comprehension a little bit longer, you know? I mean, I can see that, yeah. Just trying to maintain that direct connection a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so Sam checks in on them, because basically this episode is the Jack and Daniel hanging out in Daniel's office show, (laughs) which is cute. Uh, but she comes in and checks in on them, and she's about to leave, but she passingly tells Jack that she wishes he could explain the math problem on the board, 
And as she's starting to get up to walk away, he just hands her this little notepad. And she looks at it and she goes, 10 equals 8. 10 equals 8. And she walks up to the board and figures... And again, I've seen these episodes before, but it's been a while. As soon as he says that, I'm like, oh, it's base 8. Right. But yeah, so she looks at it and she goes, oh, this is base 8 math. And suddenly the math problem makes sense now. <laughs> and that's when we cut to Janet where she says the whole thing about how he can still write. But she also warns that if it keeps building, he might eventually shut down entirely. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm like, dude, you should you should just start with a computer analogy and then not bother this whole ten percent bullshit. Because the overriding the hard drive thing until the point where the computer more likely than not the computer would probably just shut down earlier rather than later because yeah. as soon as it has a lot, of, as soon as it has enough shit overwritten, it's not gonna be able to operate anymore. Um, this is me not being a smarty pants. This is me just quoting from my boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, but another thing he said was that that being said, let's this actually still could translate because let's say the part of the hard drive where it starts, you know, with its infection of being overwritten. Let's say the yeah. you know when it fills up that area of the hard drive, then it would move on to the next area. There's nothing to say the next area would be the part that the computer is going to need to function. So it mm-hmm. could be writing next, for example, and then yeah. something else not entirely crucial until you get to the part where the computer shuts down. So yeah, Janet's description is actually pretty fucking on point. Yeah. Oh, well, on that note, she actually tells Daniel your analogy to a computer was pretty accurate. Yeah, so. yeah and then that's when I brought in Eric. I was like, is it though? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they're having a briefing, because uh, they're now they're like, oh shoot, we really have a time limit now. Like, obviously we're already trying to fix this, but now... We have, like, a real time limit. Yay, no arbitrary time limits. Yay! Sam tells everyone they might have found another planet in one of the new gates with the same symbols on a pedestal. And Hammond says to send SG-1 through, and at first he's like, yeah, we'll have a guy to replace Jack. And Daniel's like, I can't go either. And Hammond's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, uh, I think it's really important to keep translating this. And also... I'm the only one who can have a meaningful communication with Jack at this point. Very logical. I love how he starts with the, this is really important, we need to translate, we need to get this this knowledge out there, and then goes, and Jack will be lonely. <laughs> also, my friend can't talk. Yeah, it's really sweet that that's how he caps it off. And uh, Sam says that the formula Jack wrote is, uh, calculates the distance between planetary bodies. Yes. Which I think is a great premonition to what's going to happen in a little bit in this episode. Dude, you have no idea how fucking loud my little <laughs> shriek was when I remembered that this was the episode that introduced the eighth Chevron. Yes! It's really smart! I, I forgot. It. I forgot they were in a different galaxy. They could have just, like, this is where Robert C. Cooper shows that he is a good writer. Oh, it yeah. could have been anything. It could have just been proof that he has access to crazy knowledge now. But no, he makes the thing that's written on the board matter to the plot. Yeah, no, I just, I, you can see my eyebrows. I was just like, yes, I was your so... eyebrows are dancing like crazy. No, dude, I was so excited when that shit started happening. I was like, oh shit, this is, <gasps> that's right, this is the episode where it starts. <laughs> and I was just like, I can't believe they started the continuity this early. It's so it's well done. Hell yeah. Mel, you are, you are going to be so happy when you get to finally see the SGU pilot because <laughs> they take this concept and they make it so fucking good. They make it so good. And you hate the guy who's doing it because he's such an asshole, but this math and the science comes across so clearly from a science fiction perspective. And uh-huh. it's just so, the pilot is so good. That show was not given its fair due. Dude, every 
time you tell me about SGU, I'm like, I really want to see this season. It's so good. In the second season, it only got better, and the cliffhanger they leave it on when it got canceled, My to this day, my brain is still melting over it. Unfortunate. It, very unfortunate. <laughs> it, took well, me, it took me almost a year to watch it, because... Uh, I hadn't I hadn't caught that it was canceled until Sci-Fi Channel started going the final four episodes and I was like, oh. fucking what? Well, hopefully bringing the show back continues with SGU instead. Uh, of they are bringing back else. continuity. I had heard that that they were going to be bringing cool. back some characters from Destiny. So I'm very sweet, excited. awesome. So hopefully it's going to be more focused on SGU, which would honestly make sense. It bet fucking it better. <laughs> yeah, I'm hopefully. still so mad. No, I just want it to have the amazing. Story storylines from SGU with perhaps a tad less of the campiness from SGA because I'm guessing they're yeah. not going to go down quite the same dark route with SGU considering how I apparently pissed off so many of the fans. Man, I told you how Elena Huffman literally got death threats from uh. fans because of how the show, the tone it was going down. It's A, as if it was anything she could have done or had any responsibility in, and B, as if it fucking matters that much. I mean, I love this show, but I'm not going to be threatening somebody over it. Uh, but yeah, so that show pissed off some fans for some reason, even though it was clearly better than its predecessors. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. One of the worst things to come of the technology we've got, like with the internet and communication these days, is that fans have decided that they own the material that they like to consume. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't. They, the creators owe you nothing. They don't. They really don't. I mean, the only thing they owe you is, like, they, let's say they created a really good story. They owe you an end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm, I'm looking at you, Game of Thrones writers. Um, uh-huh. But, or, <laughs> look but at you, they, fucking J.J. Abrams. <laughs> yeah. But they do not owe you any plot line or tone or character no. or ship that you demand. No, no, no. No. I, I mean, just, maybe oh. maybe with the exception of Supernatural, there was a certain ship that I still think well, that's, I was owed. No. Okay, <laughs> there is a difference between queer baiting not being fulfilled at the end. There we go. And rabid fans getting mad that their ship isn't happening. True. There's a difference True. between 15 years of queer baiting and your ship not sailing. True. Uh, so I do have a note here where I'm like, oh, hey, Sam's Pretty Boy Toys from Message in a Bottle is Oh, yeah, nice. I do like how the little crush boy is back. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem to talk to her at all in this episode, but he's alive. <laughs> he's not talking to her because he's still embarrassed by the last time. Yes. But yeah, I just noticed, I'm like, oh, he's alive. <laughs> yeah, they did say he lived, but you don't see him again, so it's like, uh-huh. To be fair, no, they don't actually say he lived. I thought they said that he was responding to treatment last time we saw him. We see the Jack, we hear that he's doing really poorly, and now they have a solution. But um, we do not hear if he gets fixed. That's why we did. I that's why after that episode, I'm like, did he die? What's going on? Well, there you go. But yes, he is in fact alive. Good to know. So SG One with the two new replacement team members go through. Uh, meanwhile, Jack tells Daniel he has to go through the gate, but can't tell him where. This episode, one one more beautiful thing about it is this episode does establish that they're. Uh, even when they're doing their best, their mouth practices need a little bit of adjustment because it turns out they don't, uh, again, this is not a flaw. They just, oh, yeah, they, yeah. they learn from this that you should leave the mouth running for a bit longer <laughs> before you go through. Yeah, so we find out after a little while, there's a little bit of a time skip here where we find out that SG-1 has not replied on schedule. 
So Ham's like, dial through and see if we can get a hold of them. As soon as they dial through, they do get a hold of them. Uh, so it's obviously not like they got captured or anything, but Sam's like, do not send a rescue team through. The DHD has seized up when we tried to send a probe back through, uh, and a second sun that the mouth did not see when it, we sent it through rose just a little while ago, and it started to get very hot. This is just, you know, more testament to her acting skill. She acts exactly like somebody would in that position where, I mean, yeah. something a lot like me. Let me put it that way, because I'd be panicking <laughs> be loudly. be, like, screaming, like, yeah. Ah! <laughs> it's all over, man. That's me. Uh, they're having to, like, tie me to the ground, because I'm al also, also, I'm already sunburned to shit, we know at this point, so I'm not happy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on from that, mm -hmm. when, for sane individuals who can handle a little bit of life, you know, experiences... I like how she clearly is unhappy. Like, she's a little scared, uh -huh. a little sad, you know, kind of like, well, I didn't think I was going to die this way. Um, kind of, yeah. She's, she's definitely contemplating the possibility of her death because this uh -huh. shit's getting bad fast, and they don't see an immediate way out because uh -huh. even though Hammond will say, can you do a, ma a manual dial out? And she goes, yeah, we're about to try one. We can't while you're dialed in. Yeah. But aside from the fact that they have a most likely, hopefully, like we've, we've dialed before kind of thing. Yeah. Solution. We've manual dialed before. Yeah. She's still kind of like, but we also have expected DHDs to work in the past. So we're kind of hoping that this trend yeah. doesn't continue. And she's a little freaked out. It's very well acted because as, as we'll see going on through later interactions, you can see her panic ramping up more and more as each interaction goes because she gets yeah, more I and more data reinforcing the oops, we're fucked prognosis i wonder why the dhd did did freeze oh up. she does she does say like... it. she does say it oh does she yeah it has something to do with the fact that apparently the uh gate is stuck halfway through dialing or, according no, no. to the according to the dhd no see that's why they couldn't do a manual dial oh uh, i thought that had to do with why it wasn't doing no. the original dial out as well i thought that i thought i no. counted for both i i just i'm I wonder if it's because of how hot the planet could get, if that fucked with something in the mechanics. Dude, hell, maybe it's just too much UV radiation, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, but for some reason, you know, the DHD's not working. So she's like, we're going to do a manual dial, but you have to hang up on us first. <laughs> and so Hammond's like, okay, we'll call back in an hour if you don't come back. I do I love the consistent comparison analogy in terms of, like, just, like, literally the terms they use. Busy signal. Like, yeah. busy signal. Just with phone calls. Oh, yeah, and in a little while, uh, Sam's going to refer to area codes for exactly, phone numbers. Yeah. I just love how they're able to, because this show still manages to have a great two lines running that, uh, in parallel, which is a constant kind of wonder at this really cool piece of technology they get to use. And what it affords but them. But also simplifying it down. But also being able to casually talk about it as if it's a phone call. Yeah, yeah. This, this is just me talking about my Einstein-Rosenberg bridge. I always say Rosenberg. It's always just, it's just <laughs> Einstein-Rosen. Yeah, just me talking about my Einstein-Rosenberg. God! <laughs> it's just me talking about my wormhole like it's nothing. Hey, yeah. And it's like, I love it. It's just another little element that always just makes me a little, you know, happy. Yeah, it's fun. But yeah, so they're going to call back in an hour if if SG-1 hasn't been able to return by then. Meanwhile, Jack is building something under Daniel and Janet's watch. I do like this moment, because you just, you don't see Daniel and Janet hanging out a lot. That is true. It's mostly they Sam, and, uh, Sam and Janet. Because, you know, you have yeah. to... Here's the thing, Mel. I was just about to say it, and now I realized why they have this scene. Because my first thing I was going to say was, it's always been Sam and Janet, because you always have to have the girls together. <laughs> We still do. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, because they have a really great chemistry. They've got a very nice, like, just 
maintained calm, trying to keep an eye on Jack and worried about him, but not trying to stress out about it at the same time. Well, Jackson isn't a medical doctor, but he is still a doctor. So they have that same level of practicality, I guess, that comes with having a doctorate of some sort. Yeah. It's just, it's just nice to see him interact, because they've got a really good energy to yeah. the room. But yeah, so they're watching Jack build something. Daniel tells Janet, like, quietly under his breath, uh, about SG-1, but leaves uh, tells her to leave Jack be for now. Like, Jack's already <laughs> in a delicate situation, and if they don't know what they can do about SG-1, there's no reason to make Jack worry about that as well. This is one of the few times, by the way, when somebody was whispering clearly way too loudly about something where I don't get mad about the person who's not supposed to hear not hearing because he is clearly so distracted and out of his oh, mind yeah, right exactly. now that it makes sense he wouldn't hear what is obviously the loudest whisper ever. Yeah, which is why I think Daniel didn't worry about it because he's like, look, as long as we don't grab his face and like tell him directly. But yeah, he's basically like, look, can you look after him? I have to go deal with this emergency. And so he goes in, and this is where he walks in on the nerds doing their best impression of the Apollo 13 fixing the uh, oxygen. So it's Siler and some the other aliens dude. dude from Discovery Channel. <laughs> oh, I can't unsee that. <laughs> and that dude is just, like, hyped about this concept. Yeah, he doesn't know his audience yet. Uh, no. He'll learn. He'll learn soon enough. And um, if he's a recurring character, I hope he comes back with a modicum less dumbassery. Yeah, it's very clear. Like, I think he's the reason we have Daniel, like, clearly, like, not impressed with these non-first responder team nerds. But yeah, to be fair, just... the, the idiot is the one who says... Well, it's not that we don't have any idea, it's just we don't have much yeah, of exactly. one yet. It is the dumbass, not Siler, who says it. And he yeah, has exactly. experience with Siler being not an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think he's mostly judging this dude and then some of the lackeys in a later scene. Yeah. I don't think he's judging Siler. He knows Siler does his best. But it's, yeah, Daniel just, like, clearly thinks these guys are a couple of nerds. <laughs> I, I do love how Hammond looks to Daniel for translation, though. For yes! Because Daniel is enough of a, a midway point between the nerds and the soldiers now. Because he's been on a first responder team with other soldiers. Yeah. So he knows how to translate between now. It's great. It's it's a wonderful little look at how Daniel has already changed. Because in the movie, Daniel was that guy. And now he can actually translate for that guy. And actually kind of look at him and be like, ugh. <laughs> So it's good. It's beautiful character evolution being displayed in a natural form. Yes. Uh, TV so writers find... look to this episode. This is how you do it. Exactly. So we find out that the manual dialing failed, and that's where she says that... So what I took from what she said was that because the when they tried to dial with the DHD, it seized up. It got up. locked up halfway through. Now it I understand what they were really saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, because it locked the dial, they can't manual dial. Yeah, which traps. Um, and Hammond's like, look, we're sending you through some stuff, protective gear for the, the heat and, and air conditioners, blah, 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 while we try and figure something out. And she just, like, flat out tells him, she's like, I don't think you understand exactly how hot it's going to get here. Nothing you send is going to keep us alive. Yeah. That's one thing I was mentioning earlier with her uh, really great acting, is that first, in yes. first interaction, she was like, 
kind of on her way to panic, but she still had, like, a solid plan that was probably yeah. gonna work. But now she doesn't. So now she, she doesn't. just kind of resigned herself. Uh, yeah, and but she's not, like, you know, happy about it. So she, there's certainly an element of, like, despair to her here. But yeah. again, acted very classy, and I just, ugh, I, lo- I love Sam. I love Amanda Tapping. I love yes. Sam. I love everything about her, and I love how it's demonstrated in this scene, how much she knows what she's fucking doing. Dude, by the way, uh, I did want to give David Worry Smith credit just for the small directing decision with the way that her her recording was filmed uh-huh because it's literally just her and like a bright yellow light like background, background yeah which like really does a good job of translating that it's hot <laughs> you're you're so right because that background really helps sell the um, gradually building desert gear she's wearing to yes. protect herself from the heat and it's it does I, feel like a like a glow. It doesn't just feel like a yellow exactly. background. Like it's not just like a yellow sheets being held behind. No. It does glow with like that heat that you feel in the desert. Where you look you look at that from a car window and you go, God damn it! I don't want to open this door. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's so simple and subtle, but it works so well to to atmospherically tell the narrative. Like you you believe what she's saying about how it's gonna climb over two hundred degrees because it looks like she's on the surface of the sun right now. God man, I've I've been to some really hot fucking places and I am not oh, yeah. here for it. Let me tell you, this episode's well done because that glow <laughs> made me so goddamn anxious because it just gave me flashbacks to how many times I've gotten fucking heat stroke <laughs> from the worst conditions. Liz, when I lived in California, I worked in the desert. Yeah, so there you go. Gross. It's just gross. Heat <laughs> is gross. I live in the Pacific Northwest, and I live here for a reason. My people are not designed for heat. Mm-hmm. So this yeah, episode gave uh, me fucking anxiety. <laughs> there was also the time that I was in Texas Ugh, gross. during the summer. Gross. I distinctly have this memory of walking out of the hotel <laughs> and feeling like I had stepped under water. Oh. It was so hot and muggy. That's me in Florida, man. I've been there a couple times, and each time I've gone off the plane, it's been like, nope, I'm leaving. It's not just because it's Florida, but because I feel like I'm swimming. Yes, exactly. I felt like I had just stepped out underwater. It was yeah. so no humid. I was like, oh. <laughs> like you can't breathe, which I think they had more of a dry heat there, but still. Although if they did have a humid heat, that would also explain how the DHD got fucked up. Yeah, I mean, water moisture isn't a problem for technology. I don't know how. I, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care what technology it is. I'd like to see them explain to me how the ancients dealt with moisture problems. Maybe that's why it's so many uh, just like Pacific Northwest uh, forest regions that they have gates on because it's not as much of an issue there. They don't have it, you know, condensing on their shit as much. <laughs> exactly. That's why all of the gates lead to forests, Jack. It's because the technology survived. <laughs> I, I, you know what? We'll have to revisit this um, in a couple of years when we eventually reach SGU because there's an episode that I have a question now about why the gate doesn't work on the planet that doesn't. Some people go to a planet and they don't come back and no one ever figures out why because the show got canceled in two fucking years. Um, <laughs> but... I mean, you know us. We'll 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 talk about it. Right. We'll come up with a and theory. And you know, I always kind of went with the assumption that's because they went to a planet that had like I don't know dangerous predators or some shit on there, and yeah. they weren't prepared because they fucking were not prepared for anything. <laughs> but uh, now I'm wondering if because I do know it was a swamp planet, so now I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just little things. So we go back to Daniel's office where Jack has finished building his thing, <laughs> and he turns it on, and Daniel looks at it, and goes, "What does it do?" And Jack 
shrugs. <laughs> See, this is another thing that convinces me that they were this. This was like you know first gen ideas for um, Atlantean. Or not, not Atlantean. Uh, Atlanteans are ancients, but that's not the word. Yeah. <laughs> um, of first gen ancient technology, because we later know about you know. Okay, I'm going to say it the Canadian way because it's just the better way of saying it because I don't care. Zed? Yeah, it just, it's better as ZPM, okay? It's just <laughs> better. It just sounds this, and feels can I better. Tell you, can I tell you, it takes me like 15 notes before I go, wait, is that a ZPM he made? <laughs> but yeah, this, this has seriously got to be a first-gen idea for what the ZPM is going to be because... It has to be because that's it has like a tenfold... It's further dialing. Yeah, and the, mentioned how it's like a huge power boost it's only when they get to the dialing part where i went wait shit that's a zpm in there yeah yeah no it was um, i was not when he first turned it on but i was kind of like yeah no like, and i'd already read the trivia at that point and it was like the device he builds looks kind of like it's a built from a, a helicopter turbine so i was thinking about it in terms of like that at first i forgot that it was a mm-hmm. power source even though it hums and looks everything like a power source i forgot it was yeah. a power source i was pretty proud of myself i will that say one. i was mixing this one up with the the next mirror episode. Yeah. When they have to build the thing to communicate with Asgard. Oh, yeah. Because I knew the Asgards were what solved this problem for Jack in this right. episode. So, and I distinctly remembered the thing from the other one. So I just, like, because, again, like I've said a million times, I've seen these episodes a lot, but it's been a while. Right. It's a lot. It's easy to conflate. Yeah. Like, I was telling you when I, when I watched this episode, I texted you at the very beginning. I'm like, did I just create... The memory of Jack shoving Daniel away from one of these things so that he could... (laughs) And I think I'm just remembering a later episode when they find another one, but it's just like, I was watching it happen, I'm like, wait, that didn't happen at all. Did I just imagine this scene? What's going on? Yeah, it took me until like a few minutes after it happened that I was like, oh wait, Mel did mention... Wasn't that... Huh. Yeah. Weird. I I think it's just like a much... I think it's. I think later on, like seasons later, they'll find another one, and this yeah, time Daniel else. wants to yeah. stick his face in, and yeah. Jack's like, no, 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 no. no, no, no. Oh, it would make sense that Jack remembers and you know wants to yeah. save his friend from possibly getting his brain. That actually melted. makes a lot more sense than Jack just suddenly deciding not to let Daniel stick his face into right? this one. Because he's that definitely makes do that shit before. Far more narrative sense. Yeah. So I I immediately thought it was gonna be some sort of like message device, you know. Well, there you go. But I just like seeing the little glimpses into what's going to be yeah. later ideas. Because this is clearly what leads up to what they create later, the, you know, the ZPM. Absolutely, yeah. And it's even got the same basic shape, too. It's just a cobbled together one. Yeah. No, for this point, for this episode, it's mostly just a little convenience thing that lets them have a one-time use-only power source that happens yeah. to let them travel between gla- galaxies. So this is at the point where Daniel tells Jack about the problems that SG-1 is having because they don't have any solutions and he's hoping that Jack, with all the knowledge of the ancients, will have a solution. And so Jack, as soon as Daniel tells him this, just gets out some like blueprint paper and just starts drawing. And Daniel and Janet are just kind of looking at him for a second and she's like, is he, is he doing it? And Daniel's like, I, I think so. <laughs> what I and then, love like, is Jack- Jack's response. Yes, Jack pauses for a minute and grabs another piece of paper and writes something on it and shoves it at Daniel and just says, get out. <laughs> yeah. I love Daniel picking it up and going, like, like doing, like, a half sigh and he reads it out loud. Yes. Shut up and go away. Yes. <laughs> but he does. He's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> He's like, I mean, it's not like he has a choice. No. Uh, yeah, it's great. Just pauses. And like I said, it's great that, like, Jack can't even speak English anymore, but they still have that great banter regardless. <laughs> Oh yeah, 
Now, what I love is Jack and I do tools the same way, which is, especially when I'm in a hurry, and I don't have yeah. time to potentially lose my, you know, especially if someone like me, I lose my train of thought pretty easily. Yeah. I know that if I don't, like, for example, write everything down right this moment, I might, you know, forget it. I don't have time to get distracted by, like, say, putting my, uh, <laughs> yeah. my, uh, compass away. And I, cause I love it, because he's, you know, immediately starts drawing out what, you know, what we'll know to be plans in a moment, and he does take out a, a compass for, like, a second to draw some kind of, like, half circle, and then just tosses it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just like, well, don't need that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. It's really, it's just, it's really good acting more than anything because it's very realistic, which is that he is kind of a little frantic. He has been every time yeah. he's been trying to get information out, whether it's in a, in a talking form or in the building form when he was building his little generator thing and now with his mm-hmm. crafting his diagrams. It's, it's good shit. So the next scene we get is them breaking into the middle of the nerd squad, talking out solutions, and they're just starting to talk about like taking the DHD apart. And they're like, Oh, well, it worked in the in the simulations we ran. So apparently they're keeping the DHD for Antarctica to run tests for, like, emergency situations on other planets. <laughs> I mean, to me, it makes more sense to hook it up and use it as the primary dialing device and use the, com- the Earth computer one as a backup. But I guess that's just me. I guess I, you want fine. I could, I could even understand experimenting on it for a little while and then hooking it up. Because, hey, you know what's better than just, like, random simulations? Using it in real time. Because that might give you, mm-hmm. I don't know, real-time data. Like, it's just bizarre to me listen, that they never listen. put this thing into use. At least Robert C. Cooper explained that they didn't forget about the DHD. At least someone I- didn't. Yes, at least Robert C. Cooper did not forget about the DHD. And I appreciate that, like, he actually used it for this, like, off-screen, obviously. But where they've been running simulations. Yeah, and I do like how the idiot McGee is uh, talking about, like, but we did it for this other stuff and it didn't work, you know, didn't have a problem. And then Siler very quickly points out, but we didn't simulate stalling halfway through the dialing process. Because Siler is the practical one. He's the epitome of, like, a good, like, mechanical engineer. He's just pointing at the simple fact, which is, yeah, but we didn't test everything. So we don't know that that's not the problem. Like, he's given a faulty engine, and yeah. somebody's like, well, we know it's not the hydraulics. He goes, well, we know it's not the hydraulics when they're breaking. I getcha. No, but I love that, like, Daniel just walks into them having this conversation and just plops the what we realize is a ZPM yeah. in the middle of the table. And, is like, and they're like, what's that? He's like, I don't know. Work on it. <laughs> I just love it because they ask what it is, or, you know, the, the idiot guy asks what it is, and he goes, because earlier on when they were talking to Hammond, they were supposed to be helpful, and what they said was, we yes. don't know yet, and so and Daniel's clearly a little annoyed by that, because he yes. tells Hammond translation, they have no idea, and the idiot goes, we don't have no idea, we just don't have much of one yet. And I love this scene now where Daniel puts the thing in front of him, because he just gives it right back in his beautifully bitchy manner, just, I, I have no idea. Actually, not, I don't have no idea, I just don't have much of one yet. Go with it. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, the end of my note here is I cannot handle how unimpressed he is by these nerds. <laughs> this is the bitchy spouse. Yeah. Well, it's really great, because we were, we were giving Amanda Tapping great credit for, like, doing an amazing acting job, especially when all she's got is, like, a face. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's, it's, it's very little opportunity to do much in what she's doing, but she's still doing a great job of, like, portraying that, like, she's worried, but she can't panic, but she's basically resigned to, at this point, she's probably gonna die. And, like, you've got Daniel, who's stuck with knowing that this is happening to Teal'c and Sam over here, and over here on this other side, knowing that if they don't find a solution to Jack's problem, Jack might completely shut down. And, like, he's he's caught between 
people he cares about all being in these terrible situations and not having a solution for either of them. So he's just like taking it out on these nerds. But it's great because again, you're not seeing him panic. You're just seeing him just be like really scared. fervent. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's fervent and he's the other kind of scared where he's he's moving forward because otherwise, if he doesn't succeed somehow, he's literally going to lose every person he cares about in yeah. very short order. And it's, mm -hmm. it wasn't how he expected his Monday to go. So, uh, Jack comes in with his finished blueprint, and it tells exactly how to take the... Oh, this is in the same, same scene. Sorry. Okay, the order of events is Daniel comes in and shows... Because they are talking about taking the DHD apart. Yeah. And Daniel comes in and is like, Jack has shown us exactly how to do it. Yeah. That's right, yeah. He had drawn out plans and how to fix... Yeah. Apparently how to fix the DHD. Yeah, and so while they're sending that through to SG-1, that's when he plops his ZPM down and has that great scene with Right, them. yeah, we got ahead of ourselves because we were so excited about it. I also didn't clearly write it down on the notes. I have three pages of notes, okay? Dude, you t I, I, even, for, even knowing myself, I left most of my notes without context, and I'm just lucky I'm remembering where all they all are. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, so the instructions work. SG-1 returns safely shortly after, if a bit sunburned. Yeah. I actually think their their makeup for Sam's sunburn is pretty good. Her makeup was actually pretty well done in the sense of, you know, she, clearly she's going to be a bit yeah. hooked by the sun. Uh, she doesn't look like how I would look, which is <laughs> so fucking red, my skin's turning purple. I, I would, let's just put it to you this way. I would have already died before Dan, <laughs> before Jack got me the plans. Let's, let's just, just say that. I would have boiled. But she does have, you know, some cookedness on her cheeks when she gets in, and mm -hmm. they show her after an indeterminate amount of time having cleaned up. And I, I'm guessing she got some sleep and some shit in the meantime. But she looks remarkably well recovered from what I would have been, again, half dead, if not dead from. So I definitely would have crawled back out yet for human contact. Oh, I would have passed out a couple right? hours onto that planet. Because right? I have really bad heat exhaustion. But yeah. she's got red that's then brown by the time we see her later. And slightly peeling. Yeah, so it's not like it was sunburned so much as, like, literal burn. Which yeah. might kind of track for, like, dead skin already kind of peeling off, maybe. Depending on how much time had passed, I don't know. It wasn't exactly right, but it was better than nothing. And I did have to give props to their makeup department for giving it a shot. I will say, some people don't really get all that red. They can still, like get damaged to where their, their skin peels. I guess I just don't but, think about it in terms of anybody else. I only think of, <laughs> of my instant redness. Is that actually a thing? Because even my sister... Yeah, I don't get really red. Yeah, I don't I don't really get red. And, okay. like, sometimes my skin will still peel slightly if it was for a while. But I don't really get all that red. Well, fuck you, because I get <laughs> super red within three minutes. I If I burn too badly, my skin literally splits. And I get fevers from it. It lasts for uh, up to a week and a half sometimes. And then I peel like my skin is literally trying to depart from my skeleton. And then I after mean, that... you are Irish. <laughs> right. And then after that, I don't even have a tan to show for it. So just some truly mutant freckles that I have spent a few years covering with uh, tattoos. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. my, tans, my tans don't last more than a week either. So I, I don't even get it. It's not even for a day. I have a weird brown mark on my arm here from one super bad burn I got once. And it's like, it's like a scar. But mm -hmm. I, I thought it was a tan. I thought it was my first tan. And yeah, it's been 15 years and it hasn't gone away. So I don't think it was a tan. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really good tan. <laughs> right? So yeah, um, there's a good little quiet moment where Teal like solemnly apologizes to Jack for failing to find a solution. 
Like, he almost died on that planet. But no, he's just like, he feels bad that he didn't find a solution for Jack. I, I, I do love how even when they give Teal'c, like, no screen time, which is almost always, they do yeah. take a little bit here and there to reinforce this thing that they, like, I mean, I know we focused on it a bit more in, um, like, Broca Divide, for example the uh, strong leader bond that exists mm-hmm. between Tilk and Jack. So I really just love little moments of continuity like this because that's all we're going to get. I'd appreciate longer yeah. moments and more of them, but in these little moments that were afforded, I, I do love his like powerful sorrow when he comes up to his friend and says, oh, yeah. I'm sorry I could not find a problem. Sorry, a solution to your problem. No, it's good. It's and I really, good. I, I love, love it. it. They all show their love for him in a very distinct, separate way yes. in this episode. And it's just, I love this episode. It's wonderful. It's a delight. Yeah. Yeah, so Jack and Daniel show Sam the thing that Jack built. <laughs> Daniel turns it on again. Helica and just now, powers up a little hum, which of course should have been yeah. a fucking indicator to me for the second time round. This was that a power a, source. <laughs> yeah. But this time when he turns it on, suddenly we get an alert from the gate room. So they all rush to go find out what's going on. And they were about to send another team to one of the new locations that Jackman covered for them when the system froze and refused to dial out. And Sam, like, checks on it to see what's going on, and she's like, it's trying to pull more power from the system. Meanwhile, we see it. Daniel's office that Jack has grabbed his little machine and has just started to go off somewhere with it. Daniel's like, wait, wait, <laughs> like starts following after him. I don't know about you, but like, I, okay, I'm thinking more in terms of like Legos, I know, but I've done a little bit of electric work, like, and I know that you can't just smash around cables like willy nilly. And I was thinking more about when I was trying to like lift my, um, uh, my, my Star Destroyer Lego set. Yeah. And, when we were moving, and it was like every single moment was like, Holy fuck, holy fuck, holy fuck. Because, you know, it's it's precarious, and there's lots yeah. of tiny pieces involved, and it's delicate. And I want you to know, I understand that he probably built it to withstand a little bit of abuse, yeah. but the thing looks like it's got some, like, delicately attached wires, so the way he just, just grabs it, it yes. it's just, speaking of anxiety, God, that one was inducing for me, because I just went, yes. oh, oh no, oh no. <laughs> so basically, uh, Jack leads Daniel Teal'c to the power room, and gets into the breaker and just plugs his machine into the breaker. Uh, and then we go back to the dialing room where Sam's like, wait, somehow the gate is suddenly pow- pulling like ten times the power. I don't know where this is coming from. We don't have this kind of power. Kudos to uh, Hammond because he immediately goes, all right, somebody send Siler yeah. and uh, a team to the power junction room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, okay, what the fuck's happening? Let's deal with this. And meanwhile, the gate starts dialing on its own. <laughs> so I I interpret this as whatever program virus thing that Jack put It was the put worm, in. yeah. Yeah, it had, like, I'm guessing a timer in it to go off at a certain time. Because it allowed for the gate to be used, and then sometime, and then it starts self-dialing when no one's yeah. anywhere near um, the computer. So I'm not, I'm not against it, but that does tell me it has to be, like, a timer. I'm not sure why there was a timer, other than an arbitrary timeline put in there by the episode. But, yeah, so it obviously was from the program, right? And yeah, it was definitely, yeah, there has to be, and it has cool. to be some sort of timer. That was yeah. the only thing I was thinking of, I could think of, anyway. No, it makes sense. Yeah. It's Don't reasonable. ask me why there was a timer. Yeah. My, my only thing, my only conclusion I could come up with was that 
he put a self-imposed timer in there because he wasn't sure how long it was going to take subconsciously to finish building his rudimentary ZPM. Yeah, that's what I assumed. He just didn't know if it would be ready by then. Yeah, which, I mean, I would give my, I would be Scotty from uh, original series Star Trek. I would give myself a greater estimate of how much time I need, yep. just in case. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so Daniel and company show up in the dining room to explain that, to explain what Jack's been doing. <laughs> yeah. And Hammond wants to shut the whole thing down. Like, basically pull the plug out of the wall. And Daniel, at this point, is like, Jack has done nothing bad so far. Yes, he's done strange things, but nothing he's done so far has turned out poorly for us. He got us new gates. He got Sam and Teal home. Let's see what happens here. I'm not arguing with Daniel whatsoever because he's not wrong, but I do appreciate Hammond's response of, so far. Yeah, so far. But basically, they they can't do anything to stop it anyway. And at that point, we also have just heard Chevron 7 encoded. Yeah, I know. I love how Crush Boy does it. When Toy announces it, yeah. It's great, because he's like, Chevron 7 encoded? Encoded? And everybody's just like, like, what? Like, lizard heads. Just like, they stop (laughs) arguing and start, what? (laughs) No, they weren't lizard heads. They were all dogs, and someone just said bacon. Yes. And, because the gate continues to dial after Chevron 7 locked in. Which is when I started doing this weird bouncy thing, and I was like, holy shit, I forgot, holy shit, I forgot. Like, it was my own little Christmas carol to myself. Liz, I still have five more bullet points before I go, hey, did Jack just build a ZPM? Is that what that is? I was just so excited. <laughs> Listen, I was about to go to sleep when I was watching this episode, alright? I was sleepy. <laughs> You're good. So at this point, Daniel theorizes that uh, every time Jack has said he has to go through the gate was about this moment right now. Yeah. Which again, it's one of those leaps, but it makes complete sense. Like, Daniel, all he does in this episode is make those leaps of logic. But A, that's usually how Daniel operates. And B, he's making them with basis on things that he's seeing happen. So like... You know, I read it in a slightly different way, but not in a bad way, um, and not that far off from yours. I read it as uh-huh. not so much that he was, like, making a wild leap, as in he was totally, like, not basing on any logic. I just took it a little more in the vein of what I... Because I had gotten from this episode, you know, as they were trying to, you know, emphasize the, the more of the, the love and the bond that's between him and Jen. Yeah. I read it kind of as... It was a leap powered by hope. Yeah, no, I... So I he that. was kind I, of... I think he was creating more foundational logic in his conclusions than there really was where you know like his argument was based more on circumstantial evidence than anything and while he was right and it's great and while i'm not really complaining about it because it makes sense for the character and for the element of the show i guess i read it i guess i just read it more along the emotional route than the actual logical leap no i think you're completely right well that's the thing like he has a lot of leaps of logic in this episode and yes they're absolutely always at first initially based off of like an actual fact that he's got to base it off of. Yeah. But there's definitely emotion uh, directing each of these leaps yeah. of logic. Yeah. Because he's worried about Jack. He yeah. wants Jack to be safe, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, we call him a sociopath, but he can still care. He's got certain people he cares about. Right. To be fair, he definitely says fuck all to others. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. He has, like, five people he cares about, and everyone else can go to hell. And while I do not judge him for it whatsoever, not even a little bit. No, no, when, no, no. Once he makes a certain conclusion about Sarah, he writes her off immediately. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> Which, you know, Ooh. just says something about him. Good for him. <laughs> But yeah, that was it. So at that home at that point the gate locks on to Chevron eight and then opens. Yes. 
and they do that little they do that little sensor thing where they're figuring out where it is in the galaxy or whatever. The tracker. Yeah, the tracker thing. And they find out that the gate is connected to connecting to another one far outside of their known galaxy. And they realize that's why the gate needed so much power. And this is where, and Hammond, I do like, I appreciate that they have Hammond being the one to ask this question for the audience because Hammond wouldn't know this information. So if anyone's going to ask this quote unquote dumb question, it's Hammond. Right. So Hammond's like, wait, I thought it was, had to be seven symbols because six for the point that you're dialing to and seven for, you know, where you're dialing from. Right. And Sam's like, the eighth one's probably distance. I mean, I have a note in here about how much um, a certain scene later, how I love how much this sh- um, this episode sets up not just this show, but the foundation for later shows. This, this yeah, episode absolutely. is no, this such episode a foundation. foundational. Yes. Yeah, it is such a foundation. And I love how well it's done. You cannot watch the rest of Stargate without this. Exactly. It's just like, what are exactly. you doing with your this life? This is more of a foothold kind of episode than, honestly, than Children of the Gods. Yeah. Because um, more of the lore, I think, is set up between the movie and this episode that becomes instrumental in the show than I think, mm-hmm. for example, the pilot does. Which I know is funny. 100%. 100%. You could drop someone into this episode yeah. so this without is anything very, else. This is a very fundamental episode. Um, and it's a later scene that does that much more, you know, to, to a greater extent than this particular one. But this one sets up so much and i love it because not only with the introduction of an ace jevron do you set up the concept of being able to travel outside your galaxy therefore setting up atlantis as a concept now yeah what becomes mm-hmm. atlantis but you you set up the concept of wait you can just you can and i know from a convenience standpoint it's you can just tack on another chevron and go further but fuck it if you tack on another chevron you can go further but what i love is how something that is part of my favorite show of the three, which as much as I love SG-1, SGU will always remain my favorite, since it's since, I think since like episode four when I made that decision, where I was like, shit, this is better than SG-1. <laughs> well, I'll let you know how I feel when we watch it. There we go. But for me, what my favorite show is, gets set up in season fucking two of, of SG-1, and I just, this scene breaks me a little because of the happiness my meter is broken at the end but this mm-hmm. scene starts to set up so much because it sets up two fucking spin-offs in one scene yeah and wonderful. i don't and i don't think that was their long-term goal obviously no but fuck it they did such a good job for it not being and I'm robert just c cooper so happy. is robert c cooper is a master at lore at narrative at dialogue at characters He's terrific. I just, I'm so happy we get to see so much more examples, so many more examples of his writing. Oh, yeah, when I saw it with Robert C. Cooper, I'm like, oh, no wonder this is such a good episode. And then I watched it, and I'm like, damn, Robert! I know, man. I just, oh, right before I, I went to bed, the last him. text I sent to you was, Robert C. Cooper, you've done it again! Right? Yeah, no, it's, exactly. So, yeah. But I, I love that, like, her saying the extra chevron adds distance so that she compares it to area codes for dialing with a phone. But I also love that, like, they don't say this, but if you think back to 15 minutes ago in the episode, the math problem Jack wrote on the board. It's so good! Little elements of continuity. Yes! Uh, so... Oh, okay, yeah, so they, they've... They've unlocked the gate and everything, and they're kind of... They're arguing about whether they can let Jack go through or whatever. Yeah. Um, and Daniel just points out, he's like, Jack's already gone. We have to let him leave. At that like, point, he's... Daniel's right, because Jack is literally just standing there blank-faced as a guard mm-hmm. is like, when he starts moving towards the gate, a guard immediately goes to stop him, and he just halts, but he doesn't, like, react in any way. He's just kind of yeah. like a robot waiting until the obstruction moves. Exactly. Yeah, he's, Daniel's like, no, the, 
we there is no other option. You have to let him go through. Because they're like, we don't know what's on the other side, blah, 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 blah. She's like, you just have to let him go through. You have to trust in what's happening. Which is a very Daniel thing to say. You know, I was, it's funny, it reminded me of this. I was reflecting the other day about how I mentioned once, I don't remember if it was on an episode we recorded, I don't remember if this is before we started making the podcast, but I remember telling you uh-huh. once about an episode of SGA where uh, they have to stick, they have, they are, they come across a, a, a portal that leads to a time dilation field, but they don't know that yet. They just know that they, they come to a portal they can't pass. Let me go through it that way. Yeah. And they can't go through it and be able to come back. So they need a way mm-hmm. to see what's happening on the other side. So Rodney takes one of their camcorders, because this is how old the show is, um, and oh, takes I know. it to t- a stick. I yeah. telling and he calls this, it yes. Mouth on a Stick. And he's so proud of himself. <laughs> and it's like, anyone watching this today would be really confused, because you'd be like, wait, you mean a GoPro? <laughs> and I was reflecting <laughs> yeah. on it, and I was like, oh shit, SGA is, old, is older than GoPros. God, I feel old. And it was a moment <laughs> where I was like, I, I love this scene, and now it makes me feel like an old person. But this is the moment where I would have, I, I, I feel even older, because there's not even a concept to them at this point of send a GoPro through with him yeah <laughs> because they can't i mean a mouth would take forever to send up there and which point who knows if jack's gonna you know hang you know hang around long enough for them to send it through anyway they don't exactly. have time probably to go grab in whatever room they have the camcorder stored in mm-hmm. not that that would do a live feed anyway no so they have no way of, of of working with this and i'm just sitting here going damn this would be a time for a fucking kino too bad sgu isn't for two uh, two other shows yep yep so, and like what what 12 years or something <laughs> but it's that moment where it's like oh god damn this is 1998 they have no way of doing yep. this <laughs> and i'm just Liz, laughing can i tell you how funny it is that i'm the two podcasts i'm doing both started in 97 both shows that i'm recapping and the two podcasts that i have both started in 1997 we're getting old and one of them i was watching while it was airing stargate i didn't get into until i was like 18 or whatever oh. but yeah no i was properly devastated by uh 2007 was a dark year for me <laughs> i mean that was around when i got into it <laughs> yeah i just thought of that because you were like oh yeah 98 i'm like oh oh, oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah uh so teal'c offers to go through with dan with jack but daniel says that jack has to go alone <laughs> what daniel doesn't say but i think he's definitely thinking is if these guys are against the goal, you might not get a chance to argue that you're a friend, and Jack can't argue for you. They might not do anything to the guy who's all, like, ancientified. There's nothing saying that they won't do the same for the random passerby who goes with him. That's a Jaffa. <laughs> Especially a Jaffa. Yeah. Hammond says since they don't know where Jack is going, he can't risk giving him an IDC. That tracks. Yeah. And so Daniel, like, as Jack is already halfway up the ramp, Daniel runs forward to grab him and, like, just tells Jack, he's like, you might not be able to come back. God, the way he says it. Yes. Because, like, he knows that Jack has to go. He's, I think he's, like, my, like sedately excited for what Jack might find on the other side. But he also doesn't want to lose Jack. No. And, you know, I've been mentioning their bond a lot in this. I just, I really feel his, uh, desire to maintain his friendship you know he wants his friend back but he has to contemplate the idea of not getting him back after this and he wants to impart that to his friend if he can exactly and it's and you just see a wonderful little because at this point like jack is non-communicative yeah but like even in this scene like when 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 daniel warns jack that he might not be able to come back jack just looks at him quietly for a moment and then goes through the gate and like even though he can't like 
talk to him, and at this point, he probably can't really understand what Daniel's saying to him either. Because Janet did say at some point he'd stop being able to comprehend yeah. what we're saying, and I think at this point he has stopped. And they, being able they to did comprehend they did allu- allude to it also during the power scene. Um, they did allude to it a little that maybe he was reaching that stage because it could have yeah. just been because he was in a, you know a bit of a frenzy you know to get the thing hooked yeah. up. But Daniel just say I don't think he's understanding us anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like even though Jack can't understand what Daniel's saying in words, just like in their faces he can tell what daniel's saying yeah and he basically you know communicates that back to daniel as well without saying anything just looking at each other because they've got that really great bond yeah i got the i got the vibe too that he was saying it'll be okay or something kind of with yeah. his response i got i got that he uh, wasn't just like acknowledging him as like a presence i was i was getting that he was acknowledging him no, daniel that was a goodbye uh so then like jack goes through and they're like tracking his traveling through the gate or whatever and then they lose track of him Traveler is Traveler lost. lost. Oh, that that dialogue is so like haunting. This show's haunting. <laughs> this episode's right. This episode's haunting. Right again, Robert C. Cooper's dialogue is remarkable. This episode is remarkable. Yes, it is. It's so damn it hurts. good. It's so good. So Jack comes through a gate to find the Asgard, and one of them. I like, love sucks how out. they just are watching from behind their little arches because the gate just activated yes. for the first time and who knows who knows how fucking long. I don't think they... Uh-huh. I don't get the impression that they use their gates because they have their own ships and technology and also we know that they don't really go They've got anymore. really good teleportation technology. They don't Yeah, exactly. Gates. So I kind, of, I kind of get the feeling that they leave that up more as like a remembrance of their past of the agents, lives. Yeah. yeah, the people who used to be friends with them kind of thing. Yeah, the Asgard pretty much almost exclusively use teleportation. Yeah. Not so, gates. So it's just, I, I do enjoy the kind of element of, like, alarm, because you can see them all kind of, like, peering yeah. out from behind the little arches, like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. I thought these dudes left. But one of them fixes Jack's brain. Yeah, immediately. Like a little... Has a little yeah. conversation. They, I love it. They, uh, quick little bit of dialogue <laughs> between the two of them, as, uh, in their language, as Jack talks to them in ancient, and they're like, holy shit, mm-hmm. he's talking to us in ancient. What? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do like how they do that in, in Alien, in Asgard, they just go... It's a human from Earth, which I, I they don't mention how they know that, but whatever. I mean, Thor I'm guessing they got a readout. Them, so. Yeah, right. But I just like there's humans from a lot of planets. I just like how they immediately knows the Tauri. But they have this little cute conversation where they say, "Oh, he's speaking the language of the ancients. That's weird." <laughs> and yeah. then he says some more shit, and they go, "Oh yeah, he wants us to help him." And then he just pulls out his hand. Which I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong. We do know. We, yeah. we us know that the uh, I'm starting to shout. I'm so excited. Um, we, <laughs> we us know that. Spoiler yes. alert. That the there is much more going on to the uh, to the Asgard than meets the eye. So it totally tracks that there's some weird fucking thing just embedded in his hand. I'm not complaining about it, but I do like how he's like, yeah, he wants our help, and then just goes, zap, and just immediately removes the problem that's been plaguing these guys the entire episode. Yeah, without getting, like, without actually digging into the spoiler, we find out that their real specialty is, like, biology. Yes, yes. Specifically bioengineering, even. Yes. Bioengineering. There we go. Yeah. So So I believe 100% that they could do that. Especially because there's a very good chance that, like, that machine was a combination of everyone's efforts. Yeah, honestly, it even kind of, it honestly read even a little bit like old Because they know technology. about it later. Yeah. yeah. So I can totally the, see I mean, it being a reverse engineer thing. In a minute, thing. the Asgard will know exactly what Jack stuck his face yeah. in. Yeah, and plus they were uh, friends with the ancients, so it would track mm-hmm. that they would have 
even if this is just purely Asgard technology they're using, they were allies with the ancients, and it would track yes. that their technology could interface with it, for example, or something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely, So I it totally it. tracks mm-hmm. to me that he could just zap it. It's just a little funny to me every time someone just, you know, yeets out the problem that's been the entire, yes. pro- the whole premise of the episode, and in ten yeah. seconds, if that, it's already gone. It just amuses me. So Jack is fixed. He can speak um, in English again. Oh, sorry. Actually, for a minute, we go back to Earth. Yeah, because yeah, first he has to sleep it off. Yeah, he passes out briefly. Sam tries to dial back through, but the computer won't accept an eighth symbol. Yeah. Also, the ZPM is dead. Yeah, yeah, ZPM's dead, and I I think that that does le- le- lend credence to the idea that it was like a timer effect of the program, because it's like a one-time yeah. use of the dialing. Mm-hmm. So whatever calculations he put in, somehow it's a one-time thing. I don't know how that works, but it, for, I think through a, for, through a diluted technological level, it can make sense. Sure, yeah. I believe it. But then we go back to, and so basically they're like, oh, I don't know, we can't get back to him ourselves, we just have to hope he finds a way back somehow. Meanwhile, back with the Asgard, Jack has, can speak English again, and he thanks them for their help. And this is that scene I made the note about with just everything gets set up in this episode here. Yes, oh right god. Here. So the Asgard explain that the ancients left long ago, but Jack's subconscious mind led him to them where he could get help. I do like it. He goes, you looked into the repository. It wasn't for you. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Oh, like I said, all of this dialogue is so good. Yeah. It's just, even that little bit, like, you looked at, it wasn't meant for you, you know? Yeah. They even talk about, like, how, like, we know a lot about, like, your brains aren't progressed enough yet. You know about us? Oh, yeah, we've been studying you for a while. And he's kind of, like, your disconcerted. Your species has great potential. Yeah. Which is a nicer way of saying you are young. Yeah. I, pr- I, I appreciate this much more than you yes. are young. Yeah, no, I love this particular trope. You have good hopeful. potential. Yeah. Yeah. I love the hopeful element to it. It's kind of like, I mean, I'm not, sh- I'm not saying I like Age of Ultron, but I do, you and I have talked about how much we like the end where Paul Bettany is talking to yes, Spader. Yes, his speech is yeah. so good. I was so, okay, yeah, there's so much that's a mess with Age of Ultron, but Spader is the problem, thing, that's all that matters. <laughs> no, no, yeah. He's brilliant at it the whole way through. But one thing I will always give that movie credit for is that Bettany, his speech to Ultron did not fall into that old trope of, like, in his in his actual speech to Ultron, he was like, look, they're flawed, but that's what makes them important, you yeah. know? Something isn't beautiful because it lasts. Yes, that was the line. That was the line where I was like, shit, this movie sucks, but this line is really good. Yeah, it's it's that kind of stuff where that one's more about, like, you know, the overallness of humanity. But I still think it falls kind of into the trope of, of hopefulness for humanity. Yeah. Which is that, yeah, we're young and stupid and we make a lot of mistakes, but we could be better. And there's, as much as I, you know, have a, a, a dim view of humanity as a whole in our present <laughs> form, I'd like it if we made it as a species. I'd like it if... For those out there who know of the Great Filter, um, I'd like to. Th- I, I won't get into it because honestly, it's too long of a conversation. Um, <laughs> but you should look into it. Uh, you should read up on it. I'll, I'll include a link too because it's actually a fascinating read. When humanity gets to the filter moment, uh, I hope we make it. <laughs> I do. I don't think we will, but I hope mm-hmm. we do. And I think it has to do with the you know, like we all want to be the heroes of our own story, and we yeah. we want to be not the worst. And I want to. Th- and I know that there has to be more life out there. And so I know that once humanity finally reaches stage where we actually can make real contact and real travel and so on and so forth once we if if we've passed the filter and actually made it and find others that have i'd like to think we can have conversations about how we used to be with a frankness that we deserve 
Yes. And I like to think it's all possible because of this kind of trope, this conversation where mm-hmm. it is that humanity at this moment isn't great, but we have great potential and we can definitely yes. get there if we try. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so then the Asgard tell him that there used to be a great alliance of the Asgard, the Nox, and and Jack's like, oh, we met them. Yep. (laughs) And then they're like, the Furlings, haven't met them. And, uh, you never (laughs) will, Jack. Sorry to tell you, you never will. And the Ancients. And then they say that the human race still has much to prove to be taken seriously, more or less. You know what kills me? Huh? One thing I just realized is not only are the furlings a bit of a dropped element, but one other element's a bit dropped is, I mean, yeah, the ancients fucked off because they were, you know, dicks, but it isn't really implied why the alliance ever really fell apart. Not that I remember anyway. And I don't think well, we ever find out. out for yeah, because I'd like to know. I would like to know why the Asgard and the Nox aren't. Because I mean, don't granted, talk. it's not. It's not at this moment in time. I don't remember anything specifically saying that they don't still talk. But this particular speech makes me kind of gives me the impression that they aren't still in regular contact. The Nox and the Asgard, yeah. and I'd like. No, to, that's I just kind of sad. I'd, I'd like to know why. Was it because of the global yeah. war? Was there something else there? Like what happened? We'll have to. We'll have to keep an eye out. Right now, I feel like it's probably the Ancients' fault, but <laughs> I feel like it's the Nox. I feel like it has to do with the fact that the Nox prefer to not be involved, and the Asgard clearly have protected planets. So I think the Nox decide to also fuck off like Like, maybe when maybe when the Ancients left, everyone else just took that as a chance with it already being fractured. And so maybe the Furlings aren't like gone. Maybe they're just also hiding. Maybe that's why we never meet them. Yeah. So uh, and then I appreciate that it's Jack here in this moment because I don't think anyone else on the team could have had this talk with the Asgard. Quite like Jack. Yeah. And it's why, like, Jack is the one who has that connection with the Asgard. Yeah, no, it's great. And he doesn't have, um, he's, he, he's really good at making it not threatening. Everything he says yeah. is truthful, and it points out the impact that humanity has just by existing, but it mm-hmm. isn't like a, and we're coming for you kind of thing. It's just, I love yeah, his no. line. I love his line of, you have to understand, ready or not, we're out there now. I love it. Yeah, uh, it's I, I said Jack has a real talk with them and points out that waiting for them to mature or something, it's not reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, like he says, we're out there now, we're doing the best we can. And then I love, this is such a good line, and it's such like, it's again with that whole, you have good potential, but it's also kind of like a subtle warning. Yeah. Where he finishes that speech by saying, we are a very curious race. Like, yeah. basically, if you don't tell us, we will keep poking until we find out on our own. Yeah, and that might not so be you the can safest. Either, <laughs> exactly. So you can either let us poke at something until it blows up, or you can tell us what it does. Yeah, and honestly, you I, know? I mean, I, I actually, aside from Farscape, I don't, you know, and obviously Star Trek, I don't really yeah. know of a lot of shows that actually emphasize that aliens aren't you know, always evil. It's always the evil trope. That's actually one of the things that killed me about Farscape was that uh, Dargo has a line in, like, season three, season four, where he uh, points out to a human that aliens are always portrayed as these barbarians that are coming to kill all humans. Yeah. And humanity isn't ready for, you know, first contact because of that. You know, they're, they're, as a whole, they're too scared. And scare, you know, just like, you know, fear is the way to the dark side kind of thing. It's kind of like that where we're, we're too scared at this point in our evolution. And well, the, the, I can't even, I cannot even remember the name of this movie because I don't think I've ever actually seen it. But isn't there like an animated movie that basically is all about this concept where an astronaut and 
ends up on an alien planet and the aliens wind up on Earth and they le learn about how like basically like Earth films basically portray aliens as like this dangerous invader whereas these aliens also have films where humans are these dangerous invaders i don't know what you're talking about but i'm really curious as to find out i want to i want to look at, I, I want to find i know this movie this. exists this and i can't remember huh. what it's called and i don't think i've ever seen it all the way through but it's literally that. about really that cool. basically where the the main consumerism of media makes you not prepared to handle this new thing yeah, I'd love to find out about that. Cause I, yeah, but I um, I just I really appreciate somebody calling it to light. You know that it isn't always just it shouldn't always just be fear that we put out there. And I like this episode for pointing out that even though most of the premise is actually based kind of on the fear concept, which is the gold older evil aliens coming to take over your body, there's so much more to space than that. I believe I've already found it. Yes, I've already found okay, it. What's it called? Planet Fifty One. I have never heard of that. I'll have to look it up. I'll have to love, uh, find out how to watch it. <laughs> It's got Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Jessica Biel, Gary Oldman, and John Cleese doing voices in it. How have I never heard about this? What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know, man. This sounds like uh, Titan AE. Yeah, Dwayne The Rock Johnson plays Charles T. Chuck Baker, a NASA human astronaut from Minnesota. This sounds interesting. I'll have to definitely watch this. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so I um, I just really enjoyed that this show is one of the ones that, you know, one of the good ones where it points out that it isn't just all fear and aliens coming to kill us. Mm -hmm. It's first contact, like Star Trek emphasizes, or like this one emphasizes cooperation between races. Because that's what the Asgard do, is the Asgard come to realize that, like it or not, humans are here. And I hate, I hate to use it as an example because a lot of Trekkies just pretend this show doesn't exist, kind of like, I like to pretend yeah. Stargate Origins doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I was young enough and I'm still nostalgic enough about it that I just, and I was in love with Connor Trenier. Yeah. Uh, so I actually don't hate Star Trek Enterprise. I don't like Star Trek Enterprise, but I don't mm -hmm. hate Star Trek Enterprise like a lot of Trekkies do. I yeah. just appreciate it for what it is. <laughs> um, one of the elements that I, I don't know if people like, I just know I don't hate, is the idea that the Vulcans weren't, um, were kind of a little scared of humans in the beginning because humans were making progress mm -hmm. so fast. So they were kind of like actually being kind of dicks and holding humans back on purpose because they were worried that the humans were going to you know, cause damage. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, impacting in a negative way humans, the other humans' um, evolution into space. It's one of the story elements of the show, is a bit of animosity between the captain and the Vulcans as a whole because of how he feels they have negatively impacted the human race. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I actually really enjoy that. And I just kind of like the, um, you know, not like an anti-storyline to that, but a different kind of, you know, interpretation of cooperation of that yeah. note where the Asgard aren't really that excited about how fast humans are making yeah. progress. But they're not holding them back. They're they're working with them, and they're giving them their technology eventually, as we'll see in later seasons. Mm -hmm. So they're not doing the Vulcan thing, but they're also just kind of like always angry, muttering in the corner because yes. they're just like, oh, goddamn humans. <laughs> and I just These I, toddlers I really appreciate with... it. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's better or worse than how um, Enterprise took it. I just I just mm -hmm. appreciate the other side it's of another the coin. Line, yeah. yeah, I just really I like it. Yeah. So after Jack gives this. Great speech that ends with, we are a very curious race. One of the Asgard offers its hand to Jack, and Jack takes it, and he tells them, um, and tells him that they've already taken their first step towards becoming the fifth race. Which is another great piece of dialogue. 
I love this scene. It just, it's so impactful. It makes me so happy. Back at SJC, they are trying to get control of the gate back. Like, they can't even lock the iris, is what they say. Which is Um, bad. Which is very bad. Daniel points out that's bad, and he is not wrong. Yeah. But it's important, because at this point, the gate starts, an incoming wormhole starts coming through. And obviously, normally, it's a callback to where Hammond's like, we can't give him an IDC, so he might not be able to come back. Well, if you can't close the iris, you can come back. It's a nice little uh, way to not have that become a, a, a repercussion. <laughs> yeah. So the, there's an inc- incoming wormhole. Jack walks back through. And as soon as the gate closes again, suddenly they have control. The worm program is done. Yep. And then Jack's just like, hey, I'm good now. <laughs> yeah. Nicely wrapped and up in then, a bow like all their episodes are. And then he closes the episode wonderfully with another great piece of dialogue that ties it's so good because it literally just does a loop back to the beginning of this episode because this episode began with meaning of life type stuff and it ends with jack saying you know that meaning of life type stuff i think we're gonna be all right yeah i i do love how it's a great way to um answer daniel's question while also because he's still his husband and still has to poke at him a little bit is a great way yes. to also just infuriate daniel because you know he's just going what does that mean 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 oh. <laughs> and i just love it no, it's just it is a great answer it is a great answer that's good man that's this episode all right so uh we have death tally nobody died Jack kind of made an attempt. Sam and Tilk also made an attempt. That's right, they did. Daniel was the safest person in this episode. It probably should be a complaint that they uh, gloss over an entire planet that a bunch of people go to and get stranded on and then make it back from. Like that could have been an episode in and of itself, but it wasn't. But I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I just love this episode so much. I can't see it as a complaint. I just see it as a wow. They got a whole other storyline in there. <laughs> yeah, it's like we were saying about how like it's just. This, this episode moves so fast. So much happens in it. Yeah. So much happens in it. Yeah. I mean, why do you think I told you after I watched it? I was like, God, why do I feel tired? Yeah, there we go. That's what it was. Oh, good. We just hit the three-hour mark in recording. Fuck me. Yeah, but there's there's a good chunks of where you can get, get to just yeah, cut no, shit out. I know. Anyway, sorry. Uh, so I don't think we really have to ask this question, but Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, thumbs, thumbs up, man. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Such this a is my new up. favorite episode currently. Oh, yep. Yep. Yep, yep. It's so damn good. It's so, it's so damn good. Oh. Like I said, it's th- so much happens without it feeling like it's too much. No, and it's amazing. The dialogue's good, and the character interactions are wonderful. And then David Wary Smith did t- such a great job with the filming. Speaking of, did you want to give? Uh, how do you feel about giving David Wary Smith another Hall of Fame tally? You know, there was enough. I think they were good. I think there I were think- enough good choices in this. I think between how how well he navigated the scene transitions. Yeah. Especially with the way that, like, you would follow people to the new scenes. Or, uh, like, or... using the dramatic entrance of Jack to start the new scene with Daniel. Exactly. Or just how... I just... I can't get over how much I love how simply he was able to portray the heat of that planet yeah. with, Sam's, with Sam's communication. All those little things. I'm, I'm down for it. Let's do it. Alright, so, I know you already said at the beginning of this episode, but you're a Jack, yes? Fuck yes, I'm a Jack. I was... <laughs> I mean, Daniel made a good attempt in there to steal pieces of my personality, but I was already—I already knew Jack had influenced a lot of my base stuff as a kid. But man, yeah. that apparently was kind of stupid funny. Well, it was good. No, Jack was a delight, and I can't say that anything he did in this episode 
I'm especially, is something I especially wouldn't say that I wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. But, like... Oh, me damn well know I would have shoved my face right into that recept- repository. There I mean, I, I would have as well. I, I would have been there before Teal, really. But <laughs> I, I there's something in just, like, the way that... So, like, obviously, you know, your, your big Jack was, like, apparently, like, that whole thing or whatever. And, like, my real... My real mood for this was just Daniel just being like, figure it out. Just, like, being so done with the nerds. I just, I couldn't handle how done with the nerds he was. And it was so beautiful. (laughs) And also, I appreciate that he led his argument for not going on the first, on on the trip through the gate to the other planet. Where he's like, well, someone's got to translate all this. Right. And also, I want Jack to have someone to talk to. But but guys, languages, languages, languages. <laughs> history. No, that like and I said, Daniel made a, a couple of good attempts on my personality. That was kind of one of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, you know what's definitely a me thing? Every time in any of the briefings where he'd say something and he was so excited, and then he'd wait for someone else to be excited with him, and they'd have to explain why he was excited. No, That's stop trying 100%. to make me be a Daniel. Okay. <laughs> That's one hundred percent me, especially like the the ro- ancient Romes and the roads and all. Oh, and all. No, that was me. The like that was me like literally yesterday when I was trying to explain a dust bowl thing to Eric. <laughs> but yeah, just uh, between the way he was with those nerds and then him in the briefings, I, I have to go with Daniel. But it's close because they were both they were a both delight. such such shining stars in this episode. Yes, remarkable in this episode. I keep talking so close to the mic, I keep running into my little guard thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I think that's it for this week. Next week is Matter of Time, which is such a good episode. Next week is episode 16, A Matter of Time. So, you know, all I can say is the only thing I can think about as to how somebody thought maybe Matter of Time, I'm not saying they're right, so before you get on me. (laughs) Um, I can see somebody being of the impression that Matter of Time could fit between uh, Touchstone and fifth race as my uh, bluetooth reconnects i can literally hear my headphones reconnecting as i'm talking there we go so one thing i could see as maybe why somebody thought this could fit between touchstone and fifth race is that matter of time deals very heavily with the uh, physics of what a gate can do like Mm -hmm. what it is and how it works and such so I can see them thinking that an episode that brings up the gate builders would go after this one. Except for the fact that if you watch five seconds of this episode, you realize that it definitely had to follow Touchstone. Yeah, whatever. yeah they were still wrong. But Yeah. Uh, I actually do have a note here about the or- airing order, because Wikipedia actually has a hover where you can read this. It says, Sky 1 aired a matter of time before the fifth race. Hmm. Showtime aired the fifth race before a matter of time. Interesting. I wonder why Canada did it differently. UK, sorry. Sky one. I don't know. UK, I think. It also claims the American order is the episode order on the DVDs, which is not what my DVDs show, but... Yeah, that's right, because I had read it when I was reading my trivia thing. It said something about Australian prints. uh, Region 2, which I guess maybe is us, and Australian DVD prints had the order differently. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Wherever you bought yours. The way we watched it was correct. Yeah. The way we watched it was correct. (laughs) 
Besides, we even if it wasn't, we decided. <laughs> we we like, decided okay. we needed to watch this episode after Touchstone. That we needed something good. This episode is great for all the stuff it sets up and every and everything that we talked about. But I love Matter of Time for its just for its story elements, for its unapologetic nature. Uh, it's 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 dark. It's 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 one of like, not that I wasn't already watching shit that was dark at that age, but this was kind of one of the shows that really introduced the concept of of like. A dark storyline to me. People you can't save. Mm-hmm. That concept of, yeah. of, of no seeing somebody and not being able to save them, and the concepts so well written into the physics of the episode. I'm just looking forward to it all over again. Not to mention the fact that I accidentally watched the first five ten minutes of it, and it has an <laughs> excellent intro with Sam and Jack that just makes my shipper's heart go a flutter. So I'm just yeah. They had to. Camp. They had to work overtime after this. Oh episode. yeah. No, this was one so was Jack this Daniel. one established a lot of love between <laughs> Jack and Daniel. Gosh, and they were like, yeah. hey. Um, not that we are dismissing that relationship, but... Listen, he's just dating both of them, okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm down. We've already talked about how I'm down. Yeah, so that's it for this week. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at ItSmellNotLiss or our podcast Twitter at PointOfOriginPC. You can also email us at PointOfOriginCast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris, and until next time.